and we're back. Okay, this is the Quiz Fan Podcast. I'm Luke. I'm Mike. And I'm Brent. I'm James. James, what, what, uh, what have you been watching this week? We played the Falcon and the Chipmunks in the Loud House. What about sports things that you were watching this week? <laughs> last Dance. Oh, The Last Dance. Um, what did mom text me that you were watching last, last like Wednesday morning? James has been watching the Grizz football games on the DVR. It's desperate times here. <laughs> hey, hey, James, who were your NFL draft winners and losers? We we'll watched the draft. The Packers are the losers. <laughs> yeah, I think the answers are the 49ers are the winners and the Packers are the losers, and we're not even making this up. <laughs> yeah, <no. laughs> he was annoyed that the Bengals had the first pick every round. Would like a little more variety. There's <laughs> <laughs> so a lottery style draft, is what I'm hearing. Fair. All right, anything else, Bob? Okay, sounds good. Thanks, James. See you, James. See you, bud. Oh, so there you go. That's um, six-year-old who's been home for a month and a half and likes to push his limits. <laughs> Are you at all concerned that your kid is going to turn into one of those weird homeschool kids? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Oh dear, now he's telling jokes off of Gogurts. <laughs> so it sounds like he's <laughs> Yeah, he's there. All right, see you, bud. Um no, mostly because he clearly, clearly will go back to school when when <laughs> school opens, which it sounds like it's gonna be the fall, but either way. <laughs> Well, I think we need to get this um, off the table right at the jump. It's Mike's birthday today. Happy birthday, Mike. Yep. Oh, oh, thank you. Thank you. Um, we have a guest with us, um, Kyle Hansen from KPAX and MTN Sports, uh, formerly of the Missoulian, and before that, the Billings Gazette is with us. So welcome, Kyle. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me on. Um, it's nice to finally meet you all on Zoom. Sorry, it hasn't happened yet in person, but I feel like this is just how I'm meeting everybody nowadays is uh, virtually. I was going to say, I feel like we've, we've gotten a lot bolder with our guests via Zoom. Like prior to us doing Zoom pods, we had like two guests ever. I would have a few in a row now, yeah. Yeah, it's big time. So I, I introduced Kyle so that he could feel free to participate in our uh, conversations um, and we want to talk, we're going to ask Kyle a bunch of questions and kind of learn more about him. But, uh, uh, before we do that, I kind of want to talk about the little bit of sports that people have actually been looking forward to each Sunday. And that's, um, the last dance. You guys okay if we dive into that a little bit and then we'll talk to Kyle. Let's do it. Yeah. Yeah. So Luke, you're the Bulls fan on the pod. Yep. Are you learning anything new? Uh, that Carmen Electra still looks pretty hot. <laughs> that she does. Um, 
<laughs> I was looking on Twitter last night during the show and some guy, probably our age, maybe maybe between us and Brent, was like trying to explain to people on Twitter that she was it at the time, like Carmen Electra. Um, and I was just laughing, but I the story about Rodman going to Vegas because he needed a vacation and Jordan knocking on the hotel room door and Carmen Electra is in bed with Dennis Rod. I mean, it's like... <laughs> <laughs> I different it was times cool. I yeah. thought it was cool you had a great Falls Montana shout out in the yeah. last yeah and those those uh interviews with Phil Jackson have to be at his lakeside cabin like oh totally it, it, yeah. they have to be up there so Kyle how old would you have been at the end of the Bulls dynasty five okay so this is yeah. basically everything about the Bulls is like you learning it in historical rear view yeah yeah, totally. And I mean, it's funny just because like my prime years, I grew up a Lakers fan. So I grew up Shaq and Kobe, then just Kobe. Um, I've loved LeBron. And so it's like, it's kind of funny to see just like the different dynamics for all these. But yeah, there's, I mean, everything I've in, the, in this documentary has just been like brand new for me. I just knew Dennis Rodman, like basketball standpoint, you have a pretty decent idea about them. And then you hear about some of the things, like I knew about Dennis Rodman's like wedding dress on the court thing. But other than that, it, like somebody like the Vegas thing, I was just like, like we were talking a little bit before we started recording, but just could you imagine if someone like just did that? And then like you mentioned on camera, drinks a beer and then just hops on a Harley and just drives off in the middle of Las Vegas. <laughs> like, I'm like, but cool. <laughs> yes. Well, I mean, like, you know what I mean? The closest even comparison to like the whole mid season going away thing that I can think of is, you remember when Tony Romo, like, on his bye week went to Mexico when he was, like, a rookie and, like, everybody freaked out? Yeah, yeah. Like, th that's, like, the closest thing I could think of. But it's, like, I feel like the whole Bulls dynasty would have been so different if social media existed. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I could, could you imagine? I mean, that's kind of the thing. Like, the Bulls dynasty is kind of one of the last few things before the – the widespread of social media. I mean, you look at like a guy you talk about, I'm a Packers fan. What was that? The, when the, the giants like uh, Odell Beckham took everyone to the boat in South Florida for the playoffs, you know, and that was like, they just went on a trip. Like it wasn't that big of a deal, but like it got blown away out of proportion. It's the only thing you remember about Then the giants come to Lambeau the next week and they lose and they still get reminded about that. So, I mean, it, it totally different era is what, Rodman in, in Vegas or, or whatever, just all this stuff. Like that just that type of stuff does not exist anymore. Or if it does, it's much more secret. It was interesting because like the, the beginning of the Jordan era, like we were five, like we were young and even younger than that, you know. And um Brent was a little bit older, but like the whole Doug Collins getting kind of fired mid-season because uh, the GM kind of figured out that Phil Jackson was really intelligent and Tex, um, whatever his last name is, like we're pushing the triangle and Collins wouldn't do it. I mean, it was, I did not know that. That was completely news to me. Yeah. No idea. What's wild about a lot of this too, and I see it just from like a media standpoint is like, there's two things that kind of stood out to me that I was like, Jerry Krause just flat out saying Phil Jackson, it would be his last year. I was like, could you imagine if someone, like, if anybody in any sport had said that about their coach that now, 
you know, and like any kind of that kind of transparency. And then Scottie Pippen demanding a trade and then like reporters asking him, like, where do you want to go? And he's like, oh, I don't know. Like, you know, this place would be okay. Like, but I sure don't want to be here. And I was just like, could you imagine like anybody nowadays being that open aside from like the occasional guy who'll post something on Twitter, but it's just like, I watched that and was like, wow. Like Jerry Krause <laughs> saying Phil Jackson is fired after the year is, right. was pretty crazy. It's, it's bananas to me because of the level of success that they had. Like first and foremost, I know that like there's some, you know, like the, something that's not talked about is that the collective bargaining agreement was going to expire the, that at the end of that year. And I don't think they wanted as an ownership group to be on the hook for a bunch of salaries when there was so much uncertainty in the water, but it's, it's one thing to maybe say, we'll talk about this in the off season. And it's another to proactively say a year out, like you're not coming back dude with your superstar also saying well then i'm not coming back either like yeah that's crazy it it would have been like an alternative universe where where belichick and brady like each other and (laughs) and the crafts came out and were like this is this is belichick's last year and brady's like well i'm not playing if he's not playing and it'd be like well why would you do that except that if felt if brady was 37 instead of 41 like because he was young like he had more years. Good uh, yeah. years. Like, was it like the quote he said? Jerry Krause told him he's like, I don't care if you go eighty-two and zero, you're not coming back this year. And it's just like unreal. And what? It's just crazy. Like, um, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and then he goes on to win five titles with the Lakers. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's like, <laughs> like the whole like, well, we need to be focusing on rebuilding. Well, it's like, I don't understand why you would jettison the coach. Like, coaches. Don't age out like players do. And not that you should have jettisoned Jordan either, but the whole argument makes no sense. None. And the coach doesn't affect your salary cap. So they could pay Phil Jackson whatever he wants. I mean, their owner's a billionaire, whatever, right? Like, But, I mean, like, you, you see this, though. Like, remember when LeBron left Cleveland the first time and didn't the owner, like, write an op-ed that – I guarantee the Clippers will win a title. Not the Clippers, sorry. The, the Cavaliers will win a title before the big three in Miami does. And I was like, what the hell? And I think you kind of see this with crowds or in the ownership of the Bulls. It was like, these guys just figured, look, we did it once. We could do it again. You're just, you're a commodity. I don't care. Like you can go, we'll, like at the point, it was like, we'll just get another Jordan. We'll get another Phil. We'll just build this again and do it. And you still see that in like modern sports where it's like, we'll just, you know, LeBron, we don't need you. And of course they had to grovel to get him back. And then they finally did get their title. So, I mean, I don't know. History kind of repeats itself. So some hubris there at the top for sure. I mean, I guess really one of the only modern examples of like jettisoning like the star and then winning right after it is the Packers, but they kept the coach, you know, it's like what other, I guess the Niners and getting rid of Montana, for young but again they kept the coach you know bill walsh was was for both of them and then george seifert was i guess george seifert was the end of montana and the beginning of young but it's like there really isn't a team you could point to that was like we blew everything up and and we were good again in a year or two like am i wrong what example do you guys have for that 
But I mean, the examples you're giving are like shipping off a, a player. A player. Yeah. yeah. It makes no sense. Like, yeah. I mean, the only thing I can think of is college sports where you cycle through stars mm-hmm. quickly. But again, usually you're keeping the coach. Right? And you're always kind of building that bench. Yeah. I mean, it's, like, you know, like the North Dakota State football team is on its third head coach. But I mean, that's, but they're not shipping out players left and right. It's, I mean, you look at their t- title too, and how Phil Jackson handled everything is still kind of blowing my mind. How he like, a Dennis Rodman, Scottie Pippen's underpaid. Michael Jordan doesn't want to stick around, like, and they still win six titles. And he's just, I mean, he's already the Zen master, but it's just like, dude. <laughs> so and oh, by the way, my GM hates me and wants me to leave, but I'm still gonna win. So yeah. that's great. Yeah, I mean, no pressure. The whole him going and winning with the Lakers, it's just like. And, you know, I said this last week when we were talking, but it's like the Bulls owner, in my mind, shoulders a lot of the blame. Because it's like, why would you, like, you've got Michael Jordan, you're printing money. Like, you are going to fill up that stadium. You are printing money. Why would you, why would you do it? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, that's a good point. I I guess, yeah, I have no idea. At some point, you kind of have to tell your GM, look, Make it work. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. But, like, isn't Reinsdorf, like, historically cheap? Yeah. Isn't that his thing? Like, especially because, like, I mean, the White Sox, like, that's another thing I'm, like, learning about is, like, you know, him. And, like, you know, okay, that explains why the White Sox were so bad for so long until, like, 05 when they won. But it was, like, yeah, they didn't spend any money. He owns two pro teams don't spend any money. <laughs> yeah, they got to fix the rules. I There's – I mean – in the category of nothing I hate more, which there's tons of things I nothing I hate more, but it's it's people who own sports teams and then cry poor, you know? Oh, yeah. like, like the Red Sox are doing it right now, too. And it's like, nobody believes you. Like, nobody believes you that the Red Sox aren't printing money. But maybe well, like, it's that Watching Moneyball and, like, you know, they're talking about how like Billy Bean has to build this team with like these dudes who are making like 800k a year and it's just like you own a pro sports team in the Bay Area how bad is life really so I but they need to keep it up until they get a new stadium you know it's all about bilking the taxpayers for new stadiums and then whatever else we can get um anything else stood out to you any of you guys from the two episodes last night not really I'm, I'm loving the series. It's great. It, it is interesting to me because people kind of like to look back and say, and it's like, you guys know me, I'm not a big NBA fan, but you hear a lot about how the defense in the NBA now is terrible compared to what it was. And I don't know that the defense was any better. I just think that they let them be a lot more physical. Oh, yeah. Oh, I, more physical. Yeah. I think yeah. they were more physical, but I also think the defense sucked. Fairly, I mean, you, you would like, know better than I. All the rotations, like, are – it's like you didn't have to be sophisticated in your, like, defensive rotations because if you were late, you could just go and clobber a guy. Right. Um, people were slower, less athletic. The population of people that play basketball in the United States is bigger now, plus all the inter- international influence that didn't exist before the Dream Team, you know. Mm-hmm. Like, I think the league is much more athletic now. Um, back then, you couldn't double team um, before the player had the ball. 
I mean, now there's the hand check rule, which would change things up, but um, you can deploy much more complex defenses today. Um, and I'm not trying to take away from Jordan or any of the stars of that era by any means, but I th- it was a different style. It was just, it, was, it is what it is. Yeah. yeah. You don't have, you didn't have seven footers shooting three pointers in that <laughs> era either. So, yeah. I, you know, or you like imagine Giannis playing in the mid 90s. I mean, or LeBron. Like they, they're talking about Magic Johnson being 6'9 and, you know, he's a rarity as a point guard. That feels like every point guard that's going into like college now as they are 6'6 and higher, pass and shoot. And it's like, so I, with that point, yeah, I mean, the athletic, I think it's just, I don't think the defense is bad in the NBA. I think it's just hard. Like, I just think it's flat out. How do you guard this dude for like 48 minutes? Yeah. Do you also think like it's a point like in the the modern NBA, like playing defense doesn't mean anything. Like nobody, no, I mean, in, you see it in college, but still that doesn't get you to the next level. Usually like being, if playing defense is your top game, like that, that that's not going to advance your basketball career anymore. It's being a scorer and a shooter and, and a creator. Um, it just, I don't know. I mean, you look at that. It just seems like that to me. I don't know. Maybe I sound like a cranky old man right now. Well, those are two separate things. Damn kids don't play defense anymore. The other thing I think that's kind of a side side effect maybe of this this series is I think that this generation, whether they kind of acknowledge it or not, knows how good Michael Jordan was. You know, there's the whole Jordan, Kobe, LeBron thing, and you get different people saying different things. But I think that there's this whole – you know, people 25 and younger who maybe don't have a, an appreciation for how good Scottie Pippen was that are seeing it through this. As the 25 and – no, 26, so never mind. I'm not under. So I, I forgot how old I was for a second. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, no, I totally – I agree with that 100%. I mean – like I've always really liked Dennis Rodman's game. Cause I like those dudes that rebound. Cause I think rebounding, I mean, you see it at every level. Like, I mean, if you're winning with by like 10 rebounds a game, like, I mean, that's just extra possessions. Yeah. And I, so I like that about Dennis Rodman's game, but yeah, Scotty Pippen, totally. Like I, you know, you just another guy who, you know, when they took this NAIA route to being just the star and yeah, his game was unbelievable. Um, and you just learn more about some of these guys. The Bad Boys ESPN 30 for 30 is one of my absolute favorites, so I'm glad that kind of got tied in a little bit here. Um, but, you, yeah, you learn more about these guys where I'm just like, um, you know, they're unreal. I'm still waiting for that Larry Bird documentary to convince me that Larry Bird was better than he was because <laughs> you're on the fence. I, I, think it, I think Larry Bird's a little overrated. That'll be my hot take for this podcast on my debut. He's – well, I mean, the Celtics were loaded. How? Give me yeah, two reasons why Larry Bird's uh, overrated, but then I want you to try to defend the opposite position. And give me two reasons why he's like perfectly rated. How, how many reasons? Two. two. Okay. Well, the number one reason is I think they're loaded. I thought this. I think the Celtics teams. Like, I don't know why certain teams, why people forget like how loaded some of these teams are. Like, I get they had a twilight of his career, Bill Walton. Um, but like he had Mikhail and Parrish forever. And so I think like, that's my problem with this whole LeBron Michael Jordan debate is like, 
while people now are seeing how good these teams were, the knock on LeBron, like there's always that argument, well, Michael Jordan had better teammates than LeBron. And it's like, for the majority of it, that's true. Like, you look at some of those starting lineups in Cleveland and yikes, especially yeah. in his first go around. Like, when Zadrunas Elgauskas is your second best player, yeah. like, you know, or you're playing in the finals and like Matthew Dellavedova, who was so much fun to watch, but it was just like, this should not be the second best player on a finals basketball team right now. Um, and a second reason why I think Larry Bird is overrated. I guess I haven't thought about it that deeply. Um, I, that's, I, I don't know. That's a good question because I'm not, I don't, and maybe this is just not me knowing historically, but I'm not a hundred percent sure how deep the NBA was back in like the early to mid eighties, you know, like, because, and that's what my problem with like some of these early Celtics titles is like, there's like 12 teams in the league. You know what I mean? Like it's, or however much it was. And that's not taken away from because Bill Russell's an all timer, but it's just like, I'm not sure that NBA was like as deep. So I don't know about that. But on the flip side, Larry Bird, I mean, you want to talk about complete players, offense, defense. I mean, he's like a kind of player that you don't necessarily see so much now because he does it on both sides. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that's where I would get on the fence. I mean, we were talking about guys like that, like your Clay Thompson's and Draymond Green's are examples of guys who play well on both sides of the ball. You know, that's was Larry Bird style. And I, but I, the thing I love about Larry Bird is just how much crap he talked. I mean, amazing. We, we need more of that. So that's where I'm on the Larry Bird debate. But I don't know. I just uh, – no, but nothing about Larry Bird has really spoke that much to me. Maybe it's because I'm, I grew up a Laker fan and the Celtics always irk me. But maybe, maybe that's the core of all this, and I just refuse to admit it. Well, Kyle, tell us a little bit more about your background. Where did you grow up? So I grew up in Billings. Um, so I, yeah, born and raised in Billings. Um, my mom's from Nebraska and then my dad was born up in the way Northeast up in Scobie, um, spent the first few years there and then bounced around for ultimately landing in Billings as well. So that's where I grew up. Um, so typical Montana kid as I watched the teams that were winning and that's who I latched onto for my favorite teams, which just happened to be the Lakers. It's one of the benefits um, of living in Montana. Yeah. That's true. That's true. And like, I, it's like 2002 was like the greatest year for me because that's when I like identified my teams and it's the angels Raiders and the Lakers. Um, although I, I fluctuate with the Raiders now cause I just have said like, it's a deep, deep, deep love hate relationship and it's more hate than love half the time. But um, it was like the Raiders got like smoked in the super bowl, the Lakers three peated and the angels won a world series. And then everything just like went downhill from there. So, but yeah, that's where I grew up. Um, and uh what high yeah school? skyview okay yep yep i grew up in the heights and went to skyview and graduated in 2012 and uh what did you do after you graduated so i spent my first year at msub um didn't know what i wanted to do honestly um and uh but it's been like that first year doing gen eds and then I transferred after that and went to the university of Arizona for three years. And that's where I graduated from college. Moved down to oh, Tucson. How fun was that? Awesome. Best weather in the world. Sorry, Montanans weather sucks here. <laughs> no, I mean, I, not a mistake to go to a place um, where sunskirts are worn like 11 months out of the year. I, my thing is like, 
it was January and it was 70 degrees and sunny and I was sitting underneath a palm tree on campus. It was awesome. And like, um, and it's, just, I get in this argument with my friends all the time. Cause there's like, what would you rather have the extreme heat or the extreme cold? Cause obviously the Tucson summers are brutal, but I would take the extreme heat. I think that's easier to adjust to. Um, and all my You're friends like double the heat, right? Exactly. And I'm just like, all right, so just hang out inside. And the nights are great. Like, just hanging out outside and it's awesome. So, but that's where I went and then, uh, yeah, studied journalism and political science. And, uh, yeah, Arizona was awesome. It was, it was a ton of fun. It was great for me. I had, I had some family, so I had some connections down there. Um, but it was good to get out of the state and just kind of grow a little bit in that regard for sure. Get away from home. And how'd you come back? Work. The Gazette. Um, that, that job opened up, I think in like January, February, um, I applied for it, it disappeared, and then it reappeared in like April, May, and I reapplied for it, um, got in touch with Jeff Welsh, who was the sports editor at the time, told him I was moving back. I was moving back one way or the other just because I couldn't really afford to live in Tucson without, like, I was kind of serving on the side, but wasn't making like a ton of money, and um, was kind of ready to come back to Montana too, and uh, yeah, just got the job. It was a great, I mean, to start at like the house, or the house, the um, newspaper that I grew up reading and working alongside guys whose stories I read growing up um, and coming back to a state that I was fairly familiar with. But I mean, I still learned a lot, both college levels, high schools, things like that was, it was awesome. So I started in July of 2016 was when I officially started uh, working at the Gazette and was there for a little over two years. What did you, uh, what did you cover when you first got to the Gazette? Preps, pretty much all preps. Um, my role was initially going to be some kind of like, like half like digital producer, half reporter. And then as like the high school season was approaching, they kind of put me as like our main high school football, boys basketball. Um, I love track. So I would just kind of, you know, took that and ran with some of those preps and um, yeah, features covering some of those games within Billings and around Eastern Montana. And uh, you know, just really kind of familiarizing and just, honestly learning how to be a sports journalist because I didn't realize how bad of a student journalist I was until I finally started doing this. And I was like, Oh, like this is what I should have been doing at our school paper. Um, and then just learning ways, you know, new stories, you know, like Jeff was awesome in that regard where he showed me how to find human interest features and some of these things like, you know, these kids who aren't really going to play sports after high school, but have awesome stories within it. And, uh, you know, different reasons why they're playing. So you learned a lot. I mean, um, recruiting got to, you know, like we were talking a little bit was uh, got to get more of a feel on that to kind of see how, you know, the college beat writers at the time were covering MSU, U of M, some of the NAIs and just kind of sat back and learned that first year and just kind of figured out how to, you know, kind of find stories and, you know, become a part of, of, of a sports community. In the, in the time that you were covering the recruiting, I guess, trail, the beat i don't know um who were some of your favorite or prolific uh montana prep stars that went on to play college you know in, in any sport whatever whatever comes to mind that's a good question i i mean some of the ones that stand out are really from that first year um just because i got to know some of them so well so the you know the, the big ones were like so gabe solser is one um with the grizz he i got to cover his junior and senior year at um senior and just a great quote nice kid you know awesome athlete he was so much fun to watch in uh in high school 
and uh, Nathan Dick at that time too, who started with UM and then went back to Rocky was awesome. Um, uh, Raekwon Evans, who was a basketball player at Skyview, went to North Idaho College and is now at Florida State playing basketball. Um, he was awesome as well. Oh, Dawson Lawrence, who was a really good track athlete. He's at the University of Minnesota. Um, he was one of my favorites, uh, you know, and a lot of these kids, you know, these are the ones who were like the stars and who I got to know really well. But um, another, another one who I only interviewed once, but I wrote one of these human interest features on him. His name's Connor Black. He was their long snapper for seniors 2016 state title team. Um, had a really cool story about how he kind of helped his mom with like Down syndrome students and just helping off the side and um, great interview. And like, I would see him at events afterwards because he just played football and would always come and talk. He was just a nice guy. Um, so a lot of those kids for sure. And then, like we said, uh, you know, Michael McGinnis was another one too. He, uh, he's another one of those guys that were, it was like, I didn't get to see him that often, but whenever he came to town and Mac Anderson is with the Chris basketball team, same thing. Whenever they came to town, got to cover them and they were just always awesome. And then I got to cover them in like all-star games, state tournaments, things like that. And just got to know them as kind of the kids who I didn't get to see all the time. But you know, I would off the top of my head, those guys are the ones I would say would probably be some of my favorites for sure. Was Mac Anderson a beast in high school? No. So that was what was interesting is his, uh, his route is fascinating. And I have a theory that this is how his career is going to turn out with the Grizz is because we saw those strides he made last year as a sophomore mm-hmm. and, you know, especially as a defensive player. So his junior year, I think he started like his first six games in high school. And then they came and played Skyview for their seventh game. And they were two of the, the two of the top teams in the Eastern AA. And he came off the bench that game and he came off the bench the rest of the year. And at the time, or when I ultimately did a senior feature on him, his, his senior year, Wes Holmquist, their head coach said, he just didn't feel like Mac was totally ready to start at that point. Like still contributed, but still learning to be, you know, a 16, 17 year old kid who's six, eight, you know, <laughs> which I'm six, four. And it took me forever to figure out how to be this tall. So it's like, I can't imagine what it was like for him that young. Um, and then his senior year, yeah, started to dominate. I mean, it was that summer he took off. He came to, like, MSUB's basketball camp. An MSUB assistant coach told me that um, they're like, yeah, he came and dunked it, like, 40 times in two days. He just, like, took off and exploded. And then, you know, from there, that senior year, he I think he was a double-double kid, and that's when he kind of learned it. So that's how I think his Grizz career is going, is, like, each year he's progressively learning that by the time – you know, he'll most likely be off the bench next year behind Michael Stedman. And then as a senior, I think he, he'll be kind of like full on ready to, you know, jump into that role for sure. Interesting. So, but yeah, he, it was, yeah, you don't see many six, eight kids in Montana high school basketball. That's for sure. <laughs> so did he sign with Montana at the normal signing period? Yeah. Like, so they basically, Montana signed him when he wasn't starting on the Bozeman Hawks basketball team. He hadn't started yet. No, he, wow. yeah, he had gone There's to some a couple good of camps. recruiting by the UM staff. Yeah. And he, uh, you know, he was going to these camps. I basically, he went to UM's MSU's and they just saw him, you know, as kind of that project style player. But, you know, like I said, one of the assistant coaches at MSUB was just like, yeah, this kid, he's, he actually asked me not to report on Mac Anderson. So the other schools didn't find out about him. And so <laughs> he's like, we want him, but he, uh, jokingly, obviously, but he, uh, was yeah he uh, that's pretty much what they did as they saw him in that regard and I think he just went to these camps the AAU circuit that year and just uh really showed where he grew which obviously was you know utilizing that height and um slowly getting better defensively 
it's just fascinating for how many guys that Travis and, and staff pass over in Montana that they obviously saw something and they were right. I mean, he clearly can contribute in this league on this team. So it just, it's fascinating. Um, but kind of related to that, it seems like the cats have signed every potential and really not potential D one basketball player of the last two years in the state of Montana to their roster this spring. Um, I know that's an exaggeration, but not by a ton. What are they doing? That's a good question. Um, I, cause I think, I mean, it, it, the weird thing about college basketball in the state is I think fans are, are so into seeing Montana kids, which is a good thing, you know, and I think sometimes that's something coaches prioritize, especially in the beginning, you know, from like an interest perspective. Uh, Sprinkle being a Montana guy, I think wants that as well. You know, it's just, it's kind of a matter of who is going to contribute, you know, like, you know, Layden Ricketts was a good get for them. You know, he was, you know, he contributed as much in like pretty good ways for two years, you know, played at a good community college at a or good JUCO down in Sheridan, you know, and so he, he was a good get for them to come back. But, you know, it's interesting because, you know, we keep seeing some of these kids where it's like some of them I think could play D1 and some couldn't. And so I think it will be interesting to see what the cats have done with kids, you know, like obviously Jesse Owens, you know, switching from Grizz football to go be a walk on with the cats. Like, what will he do? Um, you know, they brought the kid from big temper Brent Finn in for a year. I think he was also a walk on, but then he ultimately left, but you know, there's Julius Mims at Skyview this past year was a really good basketball player and he's going to North Idaho. It's like, that was kind of a kid that some of us thought the cats might chase that could be a contributor. You know, and then Caleb Belich, just being from that area, I think he was kind of bound to be a Bobcat, you know, if he had the opportunity, which is cool for him because he's a really nice kid and he's worked hard for sure. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, it, it is weird. No, it's because it's like uh, it, Montana high school basketball is so interesting. We want to see these kids play D1, but it's just wild how huge that step up, even as to the NAIA level, you know what I mean, let alone playing I, for the, the Grizz. I um. I had this conversation with Coulter Nuanas and because my take is there just aren't that many D1 basketball players in Montana and that this is a stretch. Um, but then he countered with, you know, it's like two of the five starters from Montana last year were from Montana, um, you know, for Billings more specifically. And, you know, I guess, I mean, that may be true last year, but it's kind of an anomaly. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think back to the last time we had two Montana kids starting at one time. And it's, it's been a while. Luke, can you think back? No, I mean, I was thinking that. I mean, Haskett was a Haskett. Montana kid, Missoula kid. Um, but he didn't overlap with Criswell. No. Um, you know, we've always had a contributor or two off the bench, but. I mean, Selvig, Derek Selvig. Yeah. So yeah. Selvig was right. in that oh, area. North Dakota side, but close yeah. enough. I mean, that you're, Brent, that's actually probably as close to that as we're going to get, right? Probably. I'm sure Twitter's going to tell us we were missing someone who were wrong. <laughs> well, I'm trying to think because, yeah, Cruzwell, Selvig, and, but just like the last couple of years, they've had some kids like rotate in and out because there was like a Florence kid there for a while, but he didn't play a whole lot. Whoa. Kendall Manuel's from Billings, right? Yeah. Yeah. 
So there was forget about Mizzou's Sam Riddle. <laughs> I just think, yeah, there's just not that the competition overall isn't good enough. I think to cultivate your best athletes into D1 players, and then it's also just the number of players issue. I suspect um, Sprinkle one is trying to maybe build the local fan base, as Kyle suggested, maybe. But two, I don't know that he has great contacts out of state yet. He's such a young coach that maybe his ability to pull true contributors is uh, questionable right now. So the the better route to build the program is get the Montana All-Star team together and increase attendance, perhaps. And his thing, and Montana State, one thing, too, is I think – and I'm not trying to knock Brian Fish too hard here, but some of the kids he recruited just weren't good. Yeah. Um, Zeke, Quin- <laughs> Zeke, Zeke Quinlan is not a good – he's not a D1 basketball player. Like Julius Mims at Skyview, we would say, like, comparatively, we're like, Julius Mims at Skyview might be as good as Zeke Quinlan is now. And Zeke Quinlan's playing six minutes a game for the Bobcats. Mm-hmm. So so he's gone. There's a couple other other kids who are gone. So now he can kind of build that base a little bit more, which is, you know, is only going to help him for sure. And what's so weird about, like, the Cats and Grizz for – football and basketball, or actually the state of Montana, is it feels like even kids who could play at the FBS level from Montana choose to play Cats and Grizz. Whereas kids who could play Cats and Grizz, like the studs in basketball, tend to go power five. You know, they tend to, unless, you know, they're kind of like in that middle range, which it seems to be rare, but it's like, you know, Raekwon had connections to the Grizz and definitely could have come back to Missoula and played you know, imagine if Trace Tinkle <laughs> had played here, you know, it's uh, so it's players like that. It feels like they either go huge or they go NAI or MSUB, which those levels are great, but it just feels like the cats and grizz are almost caught in like a weird middle ground as mid-majors, you know, but at the flip side too, I think, yeah, just the talent and the players aren't necessarily, um, there's not a huge pool to pick from in that regard. Um, so talk about, I guess, leaving the Gazette and coming, coming to Missouli. Did you come specifically to cover the, the b-ball beat position? Was that what you came for? Yeah. Yeah. I actually, uh, after my first year at the Gazette, I'd actually applied for that job when that was reopened and Frank got it. Um, and, and rightfully so, like, you know, they're all leading newspapers. So I was connected with all these guys and, you know, and rightfully so they told me I had areas to grow. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and I totally looking back on that, especially um, completely agree with that. And, but yeah, no, that's why I, I really was excited to kind of get on like more of a college beat, loved covering preps out in Eastern Montana, because I mean, the kids, especially out there in like the Sydney's, the mile cities, the smaller communities love you. And, you know, you, and it's fun because they really appreciate what you do and they like, getting some of that coverage and their stories are so unique in some regard. Um, but I love college sports going to Arizona. My senior year, I got to cover the men's basketball team and the football team, which was so much fun. Arizona was so bad in both sports that year, but it was uh, a lot of fun to do that. So I, to, the draw to cover a D one college basketball team was the big reason to come out of Missoula, but it was also for me personally, just kind of a time to move on. You know, I'd moved back to Billings for a couple of years. It was great to be home, see my parents, see my friends be around, you know, family. But after a while, I remember Jordan Billings. excited to kind of move on and go do something a little different. And, you know, it's, uh, it it was kind of one of those opportunities to, you know, still stay in the state, stay close, but 
you know, do something a little different. And that was the draw, you know, for sure. And I'm, when it opened, uh, you know, I was just happy that they thought of me again and, you know, gave me the opportunity. And that's how I ended up in Missoula. And I love it here. It's great. Awesome. <laughs> I love um, the, the summers are incredible. So what's it like being a beat writer of a D1 basketball program in Montana where, I mean, you didn't, they didn't fly you to every game. So you didn't travel to every game. But at the same time, the Grizz and, and the Cats, probably to the same extent, are, are covered more than almost every other basketball team in the league, would be my guess. Um, so what is that? what was that kind of like? It's, it's definitely different because you watch the games differently. You know, you watch the games, um, you know, just streaming them and writing recaps kind of off those. So that took a little bit of getting used to. But I, I knew coming in they didn't really travel, so that wasn't really too different. Um, they Actually, that first year, they went and played Arizona, the Grizz did, and they, um, they did fly me down there because I could stay there for cheap with my old roommates, and, mm -hmm. um, and that was a lot of fun uh, to, go, to go see that. So... And then we got to go to the NCAA tournament, which was a lot of fun as well. Um, so it's it's different because you got to come up with new ways to to cover them and you know write previews, especially on the double headers on the road. You know, listening to Riley's show and you know talking, getting those quotes and you know, which has always worked and it's always been really good. So that's how you kind of adjust. But it's but it is a lot of fun, even at like a mid major level, because you're just like, I mean, I went to tons of practices and still do because it's just I like watching them and you get to know the guys and it's just, it, it, it's almost as opposed to Arizona where access is like completely shut off, you know, it's completely open here. So you got to go, you know, watch and observe. And so that was good too, because then you watch like, you know, you kind of navigate those waters and, you know, learn how to cover this team from how they're kind of doing things and watching on the road and, you know, things kind of like that. I, I think um, of all the coaches at UM, that Travis probably understands the beneficial give and take with the media um, and, and how there could be some benefit to his program. Would you agree with that? What's Travis like to work with for you guys? Yeah, I, I would totally agree with that because he, you know, and he's, you know, the relationship he and I have built over the last couple of years covering the team of, you know, he's been always, you know, open to, you know, me giving him a call, you know, if they're on the road or, you know, in the summer times, like I'm just kind of trying to iron some things out. Like, you know, last summer when they had all the roster changes, you know, he's always been helpful in those regards and, you know, and yeah, opening his practices, letting us watch, um, you know, and his assistant coaches as well, you know, sometimes they'll huddle the players up and they'll go do their thing and the coaches will just come over and they'll just chat with you, you know, and you just kind of get to know them a little bit more. And so I, yeah, totally. I would totally agree with that. And he recognizes that, you know, the more exposure that his program gets in that regard the more they're covered you know the interest level you know it's it's there and people want to see it so it's uh you know i think he sees a, a positive to that for sure and they're just fun to cover i mean it's you know they're just it's just a good group of guys they always the players they've had the last couple of years that i've been covering and have just been really fun to be around you know which makes it easy and the coaches are easy to be around so what does Stedman look like in practice? Awesome. <laughs> I've heard he's amazing. Yeah, he's, oh man, <laughs> he's unreal. He, uh, yeah, he looks good. He's going to, I would be, I think he's very easily a player of the year candidate next year, for sure. Oh, wow. So, yeah. 6'10", really can shoot the ball. I don't know how well he can shoot from three, but he has a mid-range jumper, and he averaged 
he either averaged a double double or it was close in the Mountain West. So I think a year there, the whole thing for him, uh, Chris Cobb told me this was they wanted to give him a year to work in their system. So that way next year, um, he'll hit the ground running. And I think he will. Well, he's, yeah, he's fun to watch. He's was having this discussion with some people and I said, you know, he's probably the best, he has the potential to be the most dominant big man since Quali, probably, wow. you know, just because of that, his skill set and just how differently he plays and, you know, I, he, yeah, he looks good. He'll be fun to watch next year. Yeah, we'll take that. Um, what can you tell us about the two transfers, the new, the cams? What, cam, one's Cam and one's Cameron, right? Yeah, they're both Cameron. They're going to have to figure – they're trying to figure out who's going to be Cam, who's going to be Cameron, or they'll both be Cam. Um, I like them. I mean, I think they're good additions because they're vets. You know, I think uh, Satterwhite is – they're good for different reasons. You know, I think – Cameron Parker is an unbelievable passer. And I think with, I mean, Montana's going to be kind of loaded next year with a lot of scorers and a lot of these players, like, you know, him and Timmy will be the passers and everybody else can kind of free flow and do what they want. And it seems a good passer too, but I think he's, he's a really good three point shooter. So I think maybe working him with those regards might be beneficial for them. And then Satterwhite's just a good athlete. And I think he's, it's good to have a guy who knows what it's like to make a deep tournament run. And it's good to have someone like that on your roster. And while he didn't play a whole lot with that team, that fire, there's no complacency with him and that fire is still there. Now that like, he wants to do that and be a huge contributor, which I think also has its positives. And I think it's why this team was so good is it was a lot of guys who had been to the NCAA tournament, but aside from Saeed hadn't really contributed a whole lot. And that's why Montana kind of hit the ground running a little bit faster this year than most maybe thought, but I, I think they're good additions. Yeah. I mean, you, the passing, I, I'm excited to watch Cameron Parker just because of how well those assists are going to translate to the Big Sky Conference. Kyle, do you do you foresee? I mean, it seems like if everything comes together, for especially for the men's hoops team, they should be the Big Sky favorite this next year. Do you see anyone who else might be in the mix? Because I know a couple other schools have lost some key guys, either graduation or Sac State transfers. Do you see anyone that? I mean, it seems like Montana is going to be the clear cut favorite. I would say, yeah, I, I would pick the Grizz, and I thought they, I thought the additions of Stedman and Nassim made them a favorite, and I think these two other guys, the two cams, add to that. I think the freshman they bring in, Robbie Beasley is a guy I'm excited to watch. This kid from the Bay Area, three-star recruit, picked the Grizz over Nevada, oh, wow. um, which I, it says a lot, and I'm excited to see how some of these freshmen work. I'm excited to see how these other freshmen develop and what they kind of end up doing. And then Timmy Falls, senior year, what's he going to do? I think Eastern, Eastern's always going to kind of be in that conversation. Um, I think they bring back Davison and Peatling's, Peatling's gone, but they bring back Davison, they bring back Aiken. So they'll Fred, have... It's Fred uh, at MSU. Uh, he's done though, right? Was it Harold Frey? Was yeah, Harold Frey, yep, he's done. He's done, okay. Yeah, so he's done. So it's like, I think Eastern can kind of be in that mix. I think Northern Colorado is going to take a step back, losing their coach and Radabaugh. Yeah. Um, MSU, I think, is still trying to figure some things out. So I would say, yeah, the Grizz, you know, as of now, look like the most complete and deep team. Like, that's yeah, a lot of guards. <laughs> <laughs> um, what do you think this means for a guy like Josh Vasquez? Because it seems like Timmy's established and he doesn't seem like he's gonna he seems like he's gonna play 
Vasquez was starting early and kind of lost his starting spot. And then you talk about bringing in a great peer passer. What are they going to do with him? That's a good question. I think what will be interesting to see is how they kind of develop. I mean, and because just because we just flat out don't know how these guys are going to match up with what Montana already has, you know, that's what's like the, that's what like the weirdest thing here is like, you know, Cameron Parker was averaging these assists, but it wasn't in a league like the big sky, mm-hmm. you know? And so, and Satterwhite, we've seen what he can do with the big sky, but how will he mesh with these guys now? Um, so, you know, so I, I guess it depends in that regard, you know, at the end of the day, if he lost time to some of these guys, Timmy's gone and Satterwhite are gone after this year. I mean, know. he could redshirt because he was a true freshman last year, right? Right. So, I mean, yeah, you don't so. hear of it that often, but in theory, he could redshirt. Right. And, you know, yeah, he could redshirt. And, yeah, they did that with Freddie Brown this year, you know, redshirted him. Um, you know, they could choose to do that. You know, who knows how he'll compare to these freshmen because he has a year of experience. They don't. Um, so, I, I don't know. I think it's definitely play it by ear because it's such a it's, – it's so weird because, like, the two years they went to the tournament, it was – they had the same team. And it feels like the last two years, it's been a lot of new faces. So I think it's it's all such speculation as to what could happen, which is fun. Basketball, it's a lot of fun to do that. So, <laughs> yeah, and it's I mean, you get one one piece that overplays, and it just can completely can change your dynamic. Yeah. Um, not that you know. I mean, I guess we would know publicly if we would, but any any rumblings of anybody leaving? Not that I've heard. No, no. I, uh, and there's still time. I was thinking about this where like last year, you know, we didn't get the word about Donovan Dorsey not coming back until I think it was like June. Yeah. Uh, Tony Miller left, I think in like early June. So this, uh, but no, I haven't heard anything off the top of my head yet. So guys, are they still the defending big sky tournament champions since nobody's won a big sky tournament since then? Yes, they are. <laughs> Brent says yes. Luke is shaking his head no. Uh, yeah. Eastern fans would disagree. <laughs> we didn't win the tournament, and we, we could have beat Eastern. I we I did. mean, I don't know if you guys probably might have seen it, but just like seeing Eastern fans' reaction to the tournament getting canceled, and I just was like, holy asterisk, man. Like, <laughs> it was just like, but – that's a good. That's a good question because back that's like 1978 to 80, Weaver won three straight Big Sky tournament titles. Mm-hmm. So it's like, can you say that with the Grizz now if they if they won it because it'd be three straight technically. So I will. <laughs> Nobody else won them. I don't care what Luke thinks. Let's go get that tournament. You know that was when this all changed because James and I were ready to drive to Boise for the championship again. We even had Luke on board, but oh well. If. Yeah, I the week prior, I was sick with the flu and was worried I wouldn't get to go to Boise. Got healthy in time to go to Boise, and this is obviously when everything is ramping up, and then go to Boise. And watching this in real time in Boise was fascinating. Hmm. You know, I think, I think Coulter kind of talked to you guys about this too, but it was just like, Every tournament in the country is saying no fans, but the Big Sky Conference is just chugging right along with the fans. <laughs> and it's just, we were like, uh, Paul Schwedelson from the Bozeman Daily Chronicle said, this is a New York Times column waiting to happen. <laughs> he, 
he said i think like that his his mock headline was like in the untamed west one big sky one college basketball tournament braves the coronavirus pandemic or something like that and it was so funny but it was like that wednesday night when that jazz thunder game got stopped and we were just like that's it yeah, yeah we were all like out getting dinner and we were just like be prepared this could uh, the axe could fall and it sure did the next morning so what are the odds that your flu was actually the coronavirus <laughs> i mean you want to talk about being horrified and ready to be patient zero i was i was i was so ready to walk in and them just be like yep you're the first case in montana and this is before it really took off <laughs> and i was just like but they tested it so i was like okay good it's just the flu now i can be miserable for the next four days with the flu <laughs> did you know that mike actually believes he was patient zero I don't believe I'm patient zero, but there's a possibility. We will talk about this another time, Luke. <laughs> it's 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 freaky because you like walk into like the walk-in and you're like, hey, I'm feeling this, 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 this. And you're like, okay, well, you fall in line with everything that's going on. So get out Scary. and go somewhere else. But I'm yeah. just saying, Luke, I don't get sick. That knocks me out for a week. And I got sick for a week at the end of February. And it wasn't the flu. That's all I'm saying. Let's just, we'll just, we'll talk about this later. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. Let's move on. <laughs> uh, hey. There's, hey, maybe this is a good time to transition. There's been some interesting news on the uh, Lady Grizz side of things. Well, I haven't been paying attention. What's that? Open up the Missoula, <laughs> Mike. <laughs> it's our <laughs> local paper. Just go online. <laughs> Um, well, before we yes switch, or no, yes or no, are you a part of the Facebook group on with 21? I'm not. I'm not. I am, but I do not support their movement. It is just, it is a very fascinating look. And I, it, it is, it, it's like a soap opera level of entertainment for me right now. It's like, I look at my phone, it's like someone I have no clue who has just posted. And I was like, "Oh my god, I gotta open it up!" and and it's uh, it, it's quality reading. And I know it's a I know it's a public group currently, so I don't have to be a member of it. But um, I am currently, and it's 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 it, it it is my it is my guilty pleasure. There's like there's like Tiger King, and uh, you know Michael Jordan, and then I am with Twenty One is like kind of right below it. It's very entertaining. Where's the Frozen Two soundtrack? <laughs> <laughs> Hey man, um, we were using Frozen Two for dinner tonight. It was all good. So, slaps. Still slaps. <laughs> Quickly before we, did you like it more than Frozen One? No, 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 the soundtrack. Frozen One, the movie was better, but Frozen Two, the soundtrack was better. I yeah, believe that you said it slaps. It slaps. It definitely yeah. slaps. We're going down a rabbit hole with Brent. If you want to talk about Frozen, <laughs> <laughs> but before just, we, because oh my god, oh I just I this is like the first time I've heard any like. The the second soundtrack that's interesting because I just aside from the power ballad I just don't really remember many of the songs. Oh okay, all right. Well, there was like two power ballads in the whole thing. <laughs> Kyle, Kyle, why did you watch it? <laughs> <laughs> Frozen two, known, yeah. and then there's Lost in the Woods. So which well, one is the power ballad of choice here? <laughs> I think it was Lost in the Woods. Okay, so you need to get into the into the unknown part too. There's some pretty I good do remember that. And the reason I watched it is because the first one was great. So <laughs> I'll give it the I'll give it the benefit of the doubt. Disney's awesome. So yeah. no, the second one in terms of a movie was, was I kinda think 
floppy and kind of dumb. Yeah. We all get unlimited, like, uh, you know, I don't know, passes on movies in the coronavirus uh, time, right? Like, what else are we going to do? Yeah. Yeah. We, uh, and I mean, they should have warned you that the snowman dies for a portion of the movie before you take your spoiler dude everyone everyone knows that Olaf's dead for 30 minutes in this by now (laughs) I got nothing this is not where I wanted to go we we need to swing back to Kyle real quick before we talk about the Lady Grizz so Kyle you moved from the Missoulian to KPAX MTN Sports Mm -hmm. so what made you do that opportunity to be on TV uh it was the, the digital side of things, I think, kind of was like the big draw. Um, that's a, it's a long, long story, but the short part of it is, is that Richie Melby, who is one of our sports producers, and I had, he was a sports director in Tucson when I was a student. Um, knew Richie, not well, but knew him, was always really good to student journalists. And then ultimately he came to me seeing if I would maybe be interested. This is obviously when Derek is leaving. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were going to kind of restructure some things. They were going to put Jack Ginsburg into the sports director position. And then they wanted the secondary person to be someone who didn't necessarily have to be a TV person, um, but knew kind of the sports in the area and could maybe bring some more, a little bit more writing to the website, um, montanasports.com. And that was the draw for sure, was just kind of working in more of a digital format. And I, you know, with the Missouri and the Gazette, I loved what we did with 406 Sports because it was the statewide website. And it was a lot of fun to kind of anchor a website like this because it dropped right when I got hired in, in Billings. And so that was that, but with MontanaSports.com and kind of, you know, a little more freedoms with to do some things. I went at the newspaper, shot a lot of video on my phone, you know, and now I got the opportunity to use like camera equipment, editing equipment and kind of get back into video, which I did a little bit in college. So that was kind of uh, the draw to do that. And, you know, because I, I really enjoyed my time at the Missouli and I had a lot of fun, you know, I mean, I couldn't ask for a better job because I was covering a D1 basketball team, you know, and uh, it was a blast. So it was to continue doing that, but in more of something that I think is tailored to me, which is digital and online was the draw to ultimately move. And I mean, the learning curve of doing the TV stuff was insane <laughs> and nerve wracking. I mean, you know, it's like I've done like these podcasts and Facebook live where you kind of just talk and you go TV so structured, you know what I mean? And you got to kind of, it's like, you have this finite amount of time. You have to make it happen. And also we air every night at five thirty and 10. So whether you have your stuff or not, that you, you're on, you know what I mean? And that was uh, a, a learning curve for sure. And it was, uh, you know, but Jack was a great mentor. You know, uh, Derek helped me out with a couple of things. All the people are stationed Chill Valley. You know, everybody there has been so great with it. And they understood that I was coming from a different background too. So there wasn't like, oh, he screwed this up. Like they were all like, no, he like literally has never done this, even in college really. So it was, uh, that was the big draw. And it's been a blast. I mean, Jack and I, you know, we were friends prior to me getting this job. And, you know, it's just been a lot of fun really. Do you uh, do you wear makeup on on the air? <laughs> <laughs> no comment. That's a yes. Uh, I wish I wore makeup. I would help. <laughs> so it would probably help my cause a little bit more. So 
because people probably watch and they go, oh yeah, he definitely has a print background. So <laughs> did you watch like your first show and be like, oh my God, that's what I sound like on TV? Yeah, I've done that. There's been a couple of times where I've gone back to like reference some stories that I did back in like, I started in early October, so October, November, and I had to reference some stories and I went back and rewatched those videos and was like, oh God, <laughs> like, I mean, there's stories I probably did three weeks ago that I'll probably feel the same way, but it was like, you know, just looking at some of like my standups and, you know, just uh, what I was wearing, like, mm -hmm. I don't know, just, uh, I just I never really had any like suit jackets or collared shirts. I probably hadn't worn a tie since my college graduation. Um, and it was just like, like one time, like for one story, I wore all black, everything. I looked like, like some, like I had a friend who, who watched it and they said did you just come from a funeral because you look like it because i mean it we were black black jacket black shirt black tie i mean it was and i like rewatched that at the time was like oh what's a big deal and now i rewatched and i was like maybe like wear maybe wear maybe wear a red tie next time i don't know like it's something a little different so but yeah it's a that was it was an adjustment for sure and i mean i'm i shoot some of these stand-ups still and it takes forever because it's tough sometimes for sure Absolutely. I, Brent and I both have been interviewed a handful of times. Actually, Brent's a little media darling. He gets interviewed several times a year. Um, and it's like, I never watch him because it's like, I don't, I don't want to know how I sounded answering questions. All right. <laughs> like even listening to my voice on like my recording, even when I was at the newspapers, I would just be like, oh, why did you ask it like that? You know, it's just like, maybe, so that maybe made listening to my voice on TV a little more easy to stomach it's just more of the way i say some things sometimes i'm just like oh let's be better next time yikes <laughs> kyle i i could be wrong here but i believe your company still has some b-reel of me talking to a police officer on the fourth of july <laughs> um, <clears throat> when, what year let me write that down we need to put some some premise on this he was talking to a police officer on the fourth of july defending his right and freedom in America to shoot off fireworks in a freaking bright red American <laughs> Patriot. Wasn't there like a giant flag or an eagle or something on it? On it and it said America. It was, oh, hell yeah. <laughs> what year was that, Bryn? I, I want to say like 2012 or 2013-ish, because it was in my, I was in my previous house. So I, I think it was around then. It was kind of funny because we were shooting off fireworks and we lived in the city limits. Scott, Fox, you were you were breaking the law. I was I was straight up breaking the law, and uh, police officer rounds the corner as like a firework is going off. So it's like, all right, <laughs> we'll be cool. And then a news van is like right behind him, and they jump out and they got the cameras out, and it was, and so for like the next two or three years the week leading up to the 4th of July, whenever there was a story about city council or the mayor or enforcement of the fireworks, here's a picture of me and my buddy talking to the cops <laughs> in our very patriotic t-shirts. So yeah, yeah. It's it was the, the file footage for the lawbreakers out there? <laughs> it pretty much was. <laughs> you guys are basically M Missoula's version of 
cops, right? Like, <laughs> can we get that footage, Kyle, and dub that cops? I gotta find it. I was about to say, I'm. I, I can find it. I was, please tell me it was like Derek. Like Derek was shooting like a news story and just like hopped out and shot it or something. Like that would be funny. It wasn't Derek. Um, I can find it. I'll send it to you. It's still out there. Still I, I, quick Google searching. <laughs> Yeah, it's definitely on your Facebook feed. I know that because people <laughs> pointed it out to you. <laughs> so, like with this outfit, so this bright red shirt, are we talking like American flag shorts, socks? Like, did we did we go full on it? No, well, you know, unfortunately, just just the shirt, but uh, the camera angle made sure to just embrace the my patriotic nature of my shirt. So, you know, the you know. Uh, eight, 10 years ago. I don't think really the patriotic shorts and socks were so much the thing as of yet. So um, yeah, yeah, it's, it's great. It's remarkable. I look forward to seeing this now. <laughs> um, so on that note, uh, <laughs> so what, um, what is something that you think has been, you've been able to kind of improve what, what, what your current employer has been doing digitally? Like, what have you, what do you think you're kind of proud of that you've brought to the table there? Um, I, I think one thing, and this is kind of what they wanted was just some of the longer written stories online. You know, I think just some of, you know, utilizing more of some of like the information we got and like, you know, adding maybe a couple extra quotes into a story, you know, writing these pairing a really like the, the good example is the Tinkle series that I did back in February mm -hmm. um, you know then luckily they sent me on that and we're all for that idea but you know I got to pair a really good video piece that was longer with a long written piece so there was both angles and I think there's there's benefits to that because there's a lot of people who want to read instead of just watch the video and then vice versa and so that's something I feel like I've, I've been able to bring to the table that they've liked a lot and I've enjoyed too because you know, I think it's when I was at the newspapers, I liked pairing video online. So now I have, you know, I focus video first and then we'll write the story. And I think it gives people options, which helps enhance the story, um, you know, in my opinion. Cool. A lot of fun. It's been a yeah. huge, you know, it's, it's crazy when you do jobs like this because you really, there's such a learning curve and it's such a challenge. But, you know, once things start to click and you start to, things start to make your work, I mean, it really challenges you in new ways and it's really, you know, kind of cool to have the opportunity to do both things. And, you know, it's been a, it was a nerve, it was a kind of a scary transition at first for sure, but it's, you know, I, it's paid, it's worked out well and been a lot of fun. Awesome. Now um, scores could just come back. I know. I mean, that's, that's what I was going to kind of go to next. Like how have you guys been generating, figuring out what the heck to talk about? I mean, it's been a month and a half now. Like, do you just ever like dread your days that you have to anchor and be like, what are we going to do? <laughs> well, we, so, cause we've done it differently. So we, at the MTN stations don't really have a sports block anymore. Um, in our shows, we've been cutting sports stories, but like Jill Valley will like read like the intro to it, mm -hmm. you know, just to, you know, do the social distancing and, you know, it's, that kind of allows us to kind of focus on some different things as well. Like Jack and myself have really been pulled onto news a lot. Um, we've been pulled over to help out with our website and then, but there's been plenty of sports going on. Like we've cranked out like a lot of features, you know, during this time and catching up with these people who've been affected and, you know, like 
as time has gone on, you know, the sports stories have obviously kind of dwindled a little bit just because there's no progression with anything. That's the craziest thing with all this is everything's getting set up. There's nothing really moving forward. You know, that feels like a lot of what we've done is like kids recruiting, coaching changes and, you know, cancellations. And so now it's kind of just waiting for things to kind of move forward. And then in that regard, so you know, it's still trying to think of sports stuff. Yes, there are days where I'm just like, oh, I would love to get some sports, but I just don't know what's out there. Um, but to be able to help out with news has been a lot of fun too, because that I talk about another skill set to work on has been good as well. But yeah, at first, I mean, Jack was shooting our shows from his house with his cat, and uh, it was that was a lot of fun. <laughs> but we, uh, it was it was a lot of work too, and he was shooting those, and we were like, you know, just trying to put some stuff together and. At first, it wasn't too hard because there was just so much changing. But obviously, things have kind of died down at this point. Yeah, makes sense. How are you guys like? I, like to ask a question on my end, like as sports fans, hmm. what has life been like the last month and a half? I, I will tell you. I mean, I, we probably can all answer this differently. <clears throat> the first month or so, it was just so like. I mean, you were okay watching a lot of news about what was going on because it was like there's, you know, it's like constantly changing and it still is. Um, and then, you know, at work, it was just so much stuff was a transition and it was, you know, trying to figure out how your, your business will deal with certain things and, you know, survive and keep people employed and stuff like that. So it's like you filled the time. But I feel like now we've kind of settled into like a, okay, so those decisions have been made and we, you know, and now it's just kind of like, man, like, what do I do with myself? <laughs> like, I can't turn on a baseball game. I think, I mean, I, Mike, uh, it, it, it's a little easier with kids because you've got to keep them a little bit more entertained as of right now. Because um, that's my house, Yeah, because it's super easy to keep your kids entertained. Um <laughs> But it at least gives you a distraction, I suppose. But it's tough, man. It's tough. Play a little bit more video games. And in our house, we got a puppy. So that definitely keeps us on our toes. I joined a, a social distancing uh, Ken Griffey Jr. baseball league <laughs> online that was pretty fun. Uh, and I watch a lot of Free Dawkins still. Do you guys, watch, do you guys follow Free Dawkins on YouTube? Uh-huh. Free Dawkins. It's a great YouTube channel. This guy splices together highlights of people's games every night. Hmm. And so you can go back and watch like, oh, Steph Curry had like 33 points. You can watch how he's, he like splices it together in maybe six, eight minute videos of how hmm. players scored all their points or got all their assists. Um, it's, I don't know. I find it incredibly entertaining. So I still watch YouTube videos of like awesome highlights from great players and Video games, yeah. The 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 Ken Griffey League is kind of cool, and we really haven't talked about it, but it got written up and wasn't it Forbes on the website? Like, it's kind of a cool thing. Yeah, um, the Bear Tycoon. Uh, he knows people who know people or whatever, but um, him and his buddies started this Ken Griffey Junior Baseball, like for the Super Nintendo. Um, they found we found 30 guys. We all picked our favorite teams. Um, excuse me, 28 guys. There's only 28 teams in the league that at that time. 
Um, so we picked our teams and the, there's some dude out there who puts like contemporary rosters into the game. So we had the 2019 teams, but playing in the Ken Griffey arcade style um, online. And we had like a, a short season and we're in the playoffs now. Um, it's super fun. And so, yeah, there's an article in Forbes, Baseball Prospectus, and some other place kind of wrote it up because there is no sports to cover. So they, they covered our league for a little bit. So it's pretty cool. Yep. And you're one of the least impressive people in the league too. So there's that. <laughs> oh, for sure. Yeah. There's some like real sports writers in it. <laughs> That's fascinating though. Like how did you come across that? Uh, our, our buddy Bear Tycoon, um, who uh, is the proprietor of Montana Mint Sports, uh he's he's a interesting guy needless Very. to say yep he's a great falls dude who lives out in dc now and um does a lot of interesting things he's got like a huge nba jam tournament that he throws every year in person they like rent out a bar um that's got a lot of local press out there um and i think he's just met people into dc area sports and there's some writers for these baseball analytics sites that he's come come across through work politics just kind of being an interesting dude and uh yeah he started it and it managed to catch some fire so it's been fun and he's a he's a good networker and he's fearless like reaching out to people so it's like you know he's he's worked on he worked on the hill in the senate for a while he's done some other things around the country and so it's like he's made relationships with people so it's like some of the people in this league it's like how did you get the beat writer for the duh, 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 in your league? And it's like, well, because I knew a guy who knows him, so I reached out to him, and it's just crazy. More power to him. Awesome. Yeah. So now we can talk about hashtag Forever Twenty One. Um, <laughs> is wow. not, no, no. Excuse me. I'm with Twenty One. Excuse me. There you go. There you go. Sorry, I I, I mixed up. Never mind. I'm not going to make that joke. Um, why do you know about forever 21 mike yeah i was gonna say <laughs> i have no answer there's no answer that i can give to satisfy you so there's just none um so the thing that is interesting to me about the whole lady grizz situation is for some reason in society people seem to look for absolutes and like people don't allow for the possibility that people can be wrong and right at the same time and so it's like, did, did UM probably botch how Shannon was dealt with? I mean, it, it's hard to argue they did. Yeah. Yeah. Um, is, can you make a case that Shannon didn't deserve a new contract? I think unbiased observers can make that argument. Now, I'm not going to say with certainty that she should or shouldn't have, because, I mean, we don't know, but it's hard to say so many players leaving every year is just like, Oh, they're quitters or, Oh, I mean, it's like, that's a real problem in college athletics, not to mention one and seven against the cats and a losing record. So I feel like this group, I mean, she's been in the community for so long and she's got so many supporters and so many friends that this group is really driven by, she got a raw deal because she was treated poorly. And I don't necessarily disagree with that part, but I also think that, 
some of it's a little bit out there. And Brent, I know you are a follower of the group. So. <laughs> I follow for entertainment value, man. You know, I mean, and I don't know if this is, uh, I'd, I'd have to go back and check, but I saw something too where in her four years as a coach, only five players have actually graduated rather than transferred and left under her uh, tenure here, which is, I mean, <clears throat> you, you hear the talk. Yeah. I mean, you want to graduate student athletes and five, five women in, or in four years, that's, that's staggeringly low, but it, it's, it's tough. I mean, I, I think you see the conversation that goes back and forth is she's the single most legendary female athlete in the big sky conference let alone the university of montana and uh but there's this this in some cases there's this inability to disassociate the two that she was a great player um her, like, she has a great support base and and wonderful friends and she did a damn fine job as an assistant coach but maybe she just wasn't cut out to be a head coach yet um but there, there's also the counter arguments as well that her the the injuries and the amount of player departures and things that uh, happened in the past four years was something almost insurmountable. And how much how much do you actually associate you know place the blame on her for that as well too? So you can see the counter argument as well. But um, it, I mean, in four years, especially the on court record the showings in the conference tournaments the showings against the cats it, it, it's hard to really justify an extension and mike i think you're right i mean was her was was this whole thing in the last three or four months kind of botched it, it kind of seems like it um just i don't know i think you could have handled it cleaner but uh as i read somewhere the only side you're kind of hearing the feedback on is, is um, the people in Shannon's court outside of a couple interviews that Kent Haslam has done. So it's tough to say what, what kind of went on behind the scenes uh, as well, too. So um, I don't know. Petrino's our head coach and what we got like four or five girls currently on the team. So they got some work to do this summer. It's going to be fascinating to see how this all unfolds. How do you guys read into the quote um, from Kent Haslam that says, I got a better understanding of what the culture was. I mean, I don't know. I, that that tends to be like a teaser of like what's going on in the locker room, what's going on behind the scenes, doesn't it? Yeah, Mike, Kyle, do you guys have any sense? Like if you had to read into that, what would you guys think? That's the vibe I get from it. Yeah, it's just a maybe, maybe there were some ongoings behind the scenes that he wasn't previously aware of or that he was hearing from people, you know, but that's what I would assume that's alluding to, but what that is, I, I have no idea. Yeah. I imagine you've got to like give, I mean, I, I think that one of the hardest things to do as an individual is to like give someone else permission to change their mind. And it sounds like the athletic department and, A.D. Haslam just changed their mind when they got more information. And uh, I, I don't – maybe that's dissatisfying, um, but it's – I don't know that – I guess I don't know that I hold anyone necessarily at fault. Like, I think it is what it is. I, it's, a, it's the 
culture of college athletics to do that? Just, yeah, I think ultimately probably could be, could have been handled better. Um, I think it's tough if, you know, supposedly you tell someone, yeah, you're coming back, especially in a profession like college athletics where there's so much pressure and job security is such a worry. Um, I think that's maybe where some of this probably stems a little bit, but yeah, I mean, yeah, all these transfers, the injuries, you really feel bad about from the injury standpoint, just because it's like, you know, you lose all these players like two years ago, they had like five girls out with knee injuries or some kind of leg injury, you know, and it's some of their best players, you know, and then that's just, that's tough. And then, you know, they were, maybe you could argue they underperformed this year, but it was still the best year they'd had with her, you know, but it's, uh, it, there's so many moving parts and it's so weird and, yeah, and, like, you guys made a great point. Like, it's tough to separate Shannon the player, Shannon the coach, and even Shannon the assistant coach, Shannon the head coach, because, you know, her best attribute as a coach is probably her recruiting because look at who she brings in, you know. But it's just, like, their development afterwards feels like maybe there's a lot of work could be done in that regard. Yeah. It'll be interesting to watch. Do you know anything about Petrino at all? Not a ton. Um, I were actually covered his brother at Rocky Mountain College for a little mm -hmm. bit. His brother Jason was the head coach. Other brother Jared was an assistant there. Um, I liked those two a lot. I like Mike. I've met him once, and he was really kind. Um, and when I was actually over in Billings, he would, for recruits that had signed with them, he would always have me kind of send them some stats that he just wanted to kind of look at some of their box scores and whatnot. So he's always been a really kind guy, um, you know, and just strikes me as kind of a hungry guy. And the, the players, from what I understand, like him quite a bit. You know, he seemed when he got hired, got, had quite a bit of support from within the locker room. You know, I think it was smart of whether it was his decision or the athletic departments to keep Coville and Sullivan and Henderson. I think that's smart to keep them all together. Um, I am not crazy, to be completely honest with you, about the interim tag for a year. Mm -hmm. I don't uh, – and even Petrino said it in the press in their Zoom press conference that it's hard to recruit when that's the case. Um, I just I uh, think an interim tag for a year seems tough. To the odds aren't exactly in his favor this year because of who's left and that tag. And I think that you know there's it just doesn't seem like that. There's a lot of security behind that, and you know they probably have a plan, but it's just like I think maybe that could be different. Yeah, yeah, it's really interesting to imagine what success looks like for this team next year. And, like, what could you possibly achieve that would, you know, erase that interim to a head, you know, head coaching job? Like, it, it certainly couldn't even be, like, a playoff win, right? Like, is 500 what success looks like? Probably less, maybe, with only five or six <laughs> players on the roster at this moment. It's going to be a team of – kind of jucos and young kids i mean I, it, it's gonna be a tough ceiling i mean yeah, it's gonna presumably be a low ceiling this year i lean i lean the 500 thing i think if they go 500 in conference play yeah um then, then i'd say that justifies keeping him considering he lost half his roster um that being said i feel like as far as women's hoops goes this should be an attractive job in my opinion 
Yeah. And maybe that's why, well, that probably is why they want the interim tag is maybe someone will come along that, you know, has had more head coaching experience might be someone loses a job at a larger school and then they can come in here, but it's just tough. And it's just trying to work under that umbrella with, you know, I think, I don't think any of them foresaw Pickens transferring. And I think that kind of, you know, if there's any hindsight's 2020 kind of thing, that might be something that, you know, is brought up, but you know, her leaving hurts a lot. Uh, Gabby Harrington hurts just because from an experience standpoint and, you know, Kylie Frolick hurts cause it's a local Missoula native who I think she was still playing like 10 minutes a game, mm-hmm. you know, still developing. So it's like, but then, yeah, they're bringing all these new kids. I think they have like four Montanans who are, you know, going to be true freshmen next year. You know, will the Schwein girls play? Will Carmen G feller red shirted last year? Like how will she be back coming from a red shirt? So, it's just, uh, I get why, I kind of get why the interim's there, but, you know, it, there's just so many things stacked against him. Like, you know, Luke, you make a great point. Like, is, you know, 6-14 and 14 in the big sky, but they beat, like, MSU once. Like, does that keep her, keep him? You know, it makes you, it makes you think in that regard, for sure. Yeah, and it, it could, you know, we don't know what we don't know. So, it's like, we talk about Pickens leaving in hindsight, but, the other thing is, were there other people who are going to leave in the other alternative? Um, and it certainly seems, given how much the roster's turned over, that that's a plausible thing, too, considering Kent's kind of statements that seem to kind of imply that there's something else there. So, I don't know. Um, we have gone way deep into this podcast without mentioning football at all, which has got to be a record. Um, the NFL draft was this weekend, which actually – We don't even talk about the NFL draft. Sorry, guys. Um, the Packers actually, had a great draft. <laughs> <laughs> I enjoyed the draft, I think partly because we haven't had any live sports content at all. Um, but one observation on ESPN, it's they are um, – like tragedy ambulance chasers every (laughs) like it's like his teammates cousin's grandma died and it was hard it was just like oh my god natural causes at 98 (laughs) (laughs) it's bad no i tell it's bad and i didn't even watch it it's just like this is what i'm seeing on social media and i'm like Every t- well, it's happened with Zion Williamson to switch back to basketball. Um, he uh, same thing. He's like the first pick, and like the first thing they ask is about like some relative I think of his that passed away or like a friend. And I remember a lot of people were like, "He just got taken number one. Just ask him about that. Like, why on the spot with these kids? And who was the kid? Wasn't there some kid where they said like, or I think it was the Raiders draft Higgins, where it was like." They specifically pointed out that his mom was like a drug addict for like 16, for 16 years. years. Yeah. yeah. And it was just like, what? <laughs> like. And I don't I, know if, if some producer was like, you know, it's a, it's kind of a, it's a, it's a sensitive and tragic time in the country. So we need to make it relatable as to why this is important that people are, you know, it blew me away. Like, I was just like, holy cow. Because, like, some of them made sense, you know. It's like, 
he lost his mom and he's playing for her. And it's like, that's a story. But it's like when every single one of them has something, it's like, this is ridiculous. Uncle Jimmy has crippling debt. <laughs> <laughs> they need the money. <laughs> <laughs> Uncle Jimmy had three of his fingers broken in Las Vegas last year. <laughs> By Dennis Rodman. <laughs> so anyway, um, Dante didn't get drafted, which, you know, I mean, you could make an argument that's not surprising, FCS, da, da, da. I myself believe that that them not being able to have pro days and visits really hurt some of the smaller school guys. But I don't know if that's me being a Grizz fan making an excuse. What do you guys think about that? Kyle? I, I think you're spot on, yeah. I mean, any opportunity these guys have to get a chance to get in front of these – I, the big schools too. When Will Disley got drafted, I interviewed him, and I mean, he had like three or four opportunities to get in front of scouts and work out. I mean, everything works in their favor, so I would agree with that. And it's like that, you know. I mean, obviously, the bigger schools, the probability of the bigger schools having more talent is there anyway. But it's like when scouts more reg regularly are watching your programs and your games and your practices it's going to be easier in a draft where they don't get to do all these visits to take people they've got notes on. Yeah. And I think, you know, what hurt Dante was that obviously the, the 40 time. Mm -hmm. And I just knowing what we know about training and performance, you know, if you give anyone three more weeks or something to work on a specific skill, they're going to get better at it. And if that was the only thing holding up scouts was a 40 time, then that would have got better. I think it would have helped his odds. Um, it yeah. Yeah. I, I remember seeing the week before the weekly or the week of the draft that there was some article about how many GMs and talent scouts, you know, put weight into virtual pro days <clears throat> and almost across the board, they were like outside of like, you know, two they're like we we didn't even watch them. We're, we're not even taking any that into any stock or account. So it's just like when I saw that, I thought guys like Dante or and a lot of FCS players were just sunk because the pro day is where you kind of get to prove yourself when you're from a smaller school or a smaller division, and didn't get a chance. There's something about, I mean, these skills obviously translate to the football field. But the thing that translates the most is performance. And I'm, I'm like reminded of like when the Bulls drafted Eddie Curry and everyone was like, oh, this guy can do a backflip and he's seven foot tall. And everyone like they took that as some demonstration of his athletic prowess. But it's like you don't fucking do a backflip on the basketball court. Like who gives a shit? Can he dribble and pass? Like does he can he move down low? Um, or Jamarcus Russell could like throw a football. Biggest bust of all time, baby. Let's go. Yeah. But they're like, he can throw a football 70 yards from one knee. And you're like, guess what? You don't do that in a football game. Like that's not a skill that's required. Uh, Dante is not going to be running like a 40 yard dash in a football game. Hardly ever. If he is, the play broke down, right? Chasing someone, yeah. So the yeah. thing that translates most 
to the football field is the football game. And he was probably the best linebacker for two solid years at the FCS level. It, I guess maybe I wasn't surprised he didn't get drafted, but um, I think I'm super uh, – I won't be super surprised if he's impactful at some point in time in the NFL just because of his track record. Yeah, I I think him being an undrafted free agent works better in his favor than being a sixth and seventh rounder too. I feel like the fifth round, there's still like a little bit of, you know, that's okay. Like being a fifth round pick because there's like still like a, you know, pretty decent contract where it feels like the sixth and seventh rounds are just kind of the pad out the rosters. So for him to at least get a chance to choose who he wanted to sign with, I thought was beneficial because I imagine he had a few offers in Philly probably just felt the best. I remember, uh, so of course, Brock Coyle senior year, both Brock and Jordan Tripp were NFL bound and Tripp was drafted. I can't remember if it was the seventh or the sixth round. Um, and went to, what was it, Jaguars or was it the Dolphins? Where did he start at? Dolphins, right? Dolphins, then. So. Yeah. And, then, and the Falcons um, were in there sometime too. And just never was, was in an opportunity where he could even break through very much where uh, Coyle goes as an undrafted free agent and had, I think, I feel like uh, I was told he had like seven or eight teams that wanted to sign him. So they could look at the roster and they immediately recognized at that point, the Seattle Seahawks had like Bobby Wagner, a couple other guys, and that was it. And so his chance of making a roster was substantially better. And so he had a little bit of a choice. So like you say, Kyle, like the, you could, you could pick and choose and then, if you have a team that's <clears throat> looking for an inside linebacker and they've already got five of them already that are locked into contracts for years, well, you know, if you've got other choices, you can go somewhere else. So I hope it works out. I haven't really analyzed the Eagles interior linebacker core, uh, but uh, I hope it works out for him. I wouldn't be surprised if he makes the roster. I think that he's got a good chance to make the roster because a guy like him can contribute on special teams, no question. Um, you know, I mean, his ability side to side, I feel like that's a, that's a skill that if nothing else, he's somebody that you can be like, well, maybe he can develop into something, but he can do the job on special teams. But again, I could be wrong. I like his chances too. I just, I, like I tweeted this the other day. I just don't understand how like the, and I think he's the, he's been the best player in the FCS for two years. You know, mm -hmm. it's just, I don't. I don't understand. Too. Yeah. I just don't understand like how, you know, I, I mean, I just think of like some of these guys who like play in the PAC 12 that get drafted in like these sixth and seventh rounds. And I'm like, these guys are not better than what he's done. You know what I mean? Like I, so I think I, I like his chances. Um, no linebacker from Philly comes to mind for me. So that could help. Yeah. Um, do you, I mean, do we think he signed in Philly because of the how connection or do we think he signed in Philly because Philly made the most sense for him? Because Philly has a couple of linebackers. Really? I, I was about to say, I can't think of anybody. I mean, I'm sure they have linebackers on their roster, but like the only linebacker I don't even – I can't even think of one. Jatavius Brown? Well, don't you think they're going to move Jalen Hurts to linebacker? 
<laughs> you might as well. That's why I heard Jordan Love's going to play for the Packers next year. Oh. So. God. I'm not. Uncalled for. Uncalled for. Well, That's just a theory. The tone of the just, podcast. A, just a theory I've seen on multiple places <laughs> I made up. I'm curious, Brent, <sighs> why do Packers fans hate it? I, I like, I actually don't get it. Like, cause I'm partially like, why not? Like different situation than Rogers Favre. But to me, I'm kind of like, why not? Yeah. I think, I mean, I think the thing is, I don't necessarily hate it either. And obviously as a Packer fan, like we are so spoiled. We've had two starting quarterbacks since like 1994 uh, effectively, right. Outside of some injuries and weird stuff, but two franchise QBs. Um, but the way they went about it, because we the Packers went thirteen and three, and we're one game away from the Super Bowl, and what they clearly lacked. Well, the 49ers. hold on. By oh, default, what? because somebody in the NFC had to be the second best team. Well, yes. Yeah, so the that, Packers that's... were several rungs below the Forty Niners. Let's just get that. Yeah, and and uh, do not doubt that. I'm not. I'm not questioning that. It wasn't these woulda, coulda, shouldas. Like they were not the best team in the NFC. Forty Niners beat them twice handily, uh, <clears throat> and but it was like it was it was it, linebacker lateral speed defense and uh, a wide receiver core that has one great receiver and a whole bunch of nobodies. And so the and that and then we lost a, a starting tackle. So it was like, okay, we need O line, we need receivers, we need linebackers. And then they go out and they draft a backup QB in the first round, a third string running back in the second round, uh, a third string tight end in the third, and they traded away their fourth to get the backup QB. And it's like, oh my god. So I think I I don't think people don't like Jordan Love at Packer fans. I just don't think they like the process because not only did they draft him in the first round, but they gave up a fourth round pick to hop ahead to get him. And so it just, it kind of turned into a whole big mess. And honestly, I think if Green Bay just drafts one of these amazing, uh, potentially amazing wide receivers instead of Jordan Love and the rest of the draft kind of plays out the way it was and they get a you know they get more of a developmental QB in the fourth or fifth. I don't think they're they're getting blasted as potentially having the worst draft in the history of the NFL or whatever the hell I'm reading online. So you know and I don't Brent that makes sense too because it's like the whole coaching tree that that all these guys come from, you know Shanahan with, you know, in San Francisco is from the same tree. Um, what's his name in Los Angeles? Um, it, it's not dependent on a first round quarterback. You know, no. these guys made uh, cousins look good. <laughs> you know, so it's like, it just, it's all so weird. It's like they could have gotten Jake Fromm in the fourth or fifth round <laughs> and achieved the same thing. Like it just, it doesn't make sense to me, but I do have a question for you. And that's the baffling thing because they had that the Florida international kid actually played high school football in Green Bay, Wisconsin. And <laughs> like what? And they could have drafted him in the fifth round. And it was just like, and who knows? And the, it's tough because it's just hard when you're when you feel like you're a few pieces away from possibly being back in the Super Bowl. 
And then the front office says, all right, we're going to draft for three years ahead of now. And, and so, and it's, it, it's tough. Um, and as a Packer fan, you've had a front office that's continually neglected pieces to help Aaron Rodgers get back to the Super Bowl, And they've done it again. So it, it's just tough because it's like, I don't know. He, he's, he's an amazing talent as a quarterback and he's never had a great defense. And, and now he, he does. And now he has very limited weapons on offense at a, at a O-line where his right tackle is going to be a guy who was retired for half of last year, probably. So it's, it's, it's tough. It's tough. So I think that's, it's more the frustration, I think, of just like get pieces to win now, but who knows? It could work out great. Apparently, they want to mimic the 49ers offense now. So, that's why they do it that way. I mean, the Niners <laughs> not having a number one receiver worked out pretty well for them. So. Yeah, right. But you also you had the number one tight end and number one fullback. and <laughs> Still do. Um, yeah. The Chiefs there for a while, too, didn't have any receivers, and they were okay. Yeah. Was it? They, they almost went like 18 months or whatever without throwing a touchdown to a, a wide receiver or something. Yeah, back when Alex Smith was quarterback, so yeah, they're still so, like eleven win team, I think, or something. If you're gonna pay your quarterback that much money, Brent, you gotta expect him to make some lemonade. <laughs> uh, see, I think that's how the Green Bay coaches feel. I think that they are like, look, we don't we don't need this dude. We took away his ability to audible. You know, let's just uh, let's just let's just make it miserable and force him out of town. Shocking. <laughs> So the question for you, Brent, is when it's all said and done and we're looking back on, on Jordan Love's career, mm-hmm. you know, when we're in season 22 of the Grizz Fan Pod, um, <laughs> who will have had the better career, Jordan Love or Jeff Garcia? <laughs> That's hey, a good question, Mike. Don't laugh. I mean, the, the Niners, like Jeff Garcia went to Pro Bowls with the Niners and replaced two Hall of Famers more than adequately for about five years. So that's, you know, he's the single season all-time leader for passing yards for the Niners. Didn't he play for the Raiders at some point too? Yeah, then for some reason, the Niners hired Dennis Erickson and cut him for Tim Rattay, and it all just went downhill from there. (laughs) (laughs) I would believe Jordan Love will have the better overall career. Okay. Oh, I think we I think we need to track this by week. <laughs> I mean, he's definitely got the the advantage of being in the league right away. Garcia had to go to the CFL and earn his stripes, and we'll see, Brent. We'll see. Okay, right. <laughs> twenty years from now. Looking forward to this, Matt. The Garcia Love Index. I'm going to create it. <laughs> Like the Mendoza line. Exactly. <laughs> Jeff Garcia throws me way back to like being like a kid watching like Fox NFL. Like, yeah. Like that. Those are like some of like my first football memories. So it's crazy. Was he with like the Bucks then? The Eagles. He. I mean, after his Niners, he was Browns, Bucks, Eagles, Raiders. Lions. Some Lions and someone else, I think. He bounced around after that. Yeah. The Niners years, because wasn't it like they had like a rivalry with the Giants? Didn't they meet them like two years in the playoffs or something? Or is that a thing? They, he, yeah, they did meet him in the playoffs and they had, he, 
at the time it was the biggest comeback in in playoff history but it's since been surpassed good memories you know whatever um brent uh what uh what do we have left uh, for the pod here i yeah. i mean we've covered I think most of it. Uh, uh, Grizz football. We I, we talked football. We got a we got a defensive line transfer from Washington State. I don't really know much about him yet. Do you guys? Kyle, do you know? Not really. No. I, I couldn't find much about him online, um, which tells me that maybe <laughs> maybe he didn't play a lot there, and he's coming here for his chance. I don't know. Well, I like it. We have a big body in the middle to replace. Yeah. Yeah. Anything nope. helps. Depth is a good thing at that position. You take what you can get. No. Whew. Kyle, anything else you want to talk about on your debut on the Grizz Fan Pod? Um, well, I guess that's a good question. Uh, well, I, to talk a little bit more in depth about Grizz football going forward, I mean, you, like when you guys take a look at this team, I mean, you know, you've, there's been just so many different topics and things like that, but like, I'm fascinated by the secondary of the Grizz next year, just because I think that could be kind of a difference maker when a lot of like key positions have like been lost mm -hmm. um, offensively and things like that. Like, I mean, how do you guys think about this? Cause they brought in those two transfers from Oregon state, correct? Right. Yep. And so it's just like, I feel like the secondary like could be a very fascinating room next year i feel like if everything goes right it has the potential to be very good but the thing i always remind myself is they can't get any worse against the pass like literally there were what like five spots left for them to go down the ranking like so mike they literally could by a small margin brenton they could by a small small margin <laughs> I'm interested to see what type of defense they play. Like, are they going to come out with the extra safety again? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because we're going to be returning Gavin Robertson, like Nash Fouch. Trey John is one of the transfers, right? Um, obviously, Robbie Houck, who's going to break the record for most tackles one of these <laughs> years. Yeah, Brent, I'm getting some feedback from you. I don't know what's going on there. I didn't hear a word you said, but it could just be me. Um, one of those guys, one of those safeties from Morgan State is going to play cornerback, though, right? I think... I think Trajan Cotton is the cornerback. Omar Hicks Ono is the safety, I believe. Okay. Um, but, yeah, we have Corbin Walker, who's going to be a cornerback. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. What's going to happen? He's the one I'm most excited to – like one of like the Grizz players to watch next year because I think they were really high on him coming out of high school. And uh, – you know, I mean, you play corner as a true freshman, even though he wasn't starting. I mean, that says something at the college level because that position is just so hard. <laughs> mm -hmm. And know? he did show improvements. I mean, he got picked on a lot, but he showed improvements. Like, you saw the potential for him to grow out there in life. Yeah. 
do you guys get the sense if Gavin Crow is going to be back at safety or like are they going to shift him to cornerback for depth? <coughs> I don't know. Hey, that's weird. I don't know what's going on, Brent. <laughs> it's all it's all staticky. Um, Sound like the weather thing when like a weather winter advisory is coming or something. <laughs> something some real important message you can't understand. The, the shitty case alert. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, there's a thunderstorm coming. Good thing I can't understand a word they're saying about it. Yeah. Go outside. Awesome. Go outside. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. Girls right. football is gonna be interesting next year. It is. So, Brent, um, did you, the the question was just about depth and. What position yeah. is he? Uh, well, for with Gavin Crow, yeah, isn't he moving to linebacker? Didn't I see that? Oh, oh. Okay. if he's moving to linebacker, I missed that. But if he's moving to linebacker, to to Luke's point, are they going to play three? I mean, are we like? It feels like they're setting up for maybe the defense to not be exactly the same as it was. Yeah, I agree. It seems like it. Well, they don't have they don't have the kind of embarrassment of riches at safety anymore, like they had the last two years, at least with experience. Yeah. So it would seem like that we'd have Marcus Wellnell, like stepping in to start, right? Or Patrick 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 O'Connell. Yeah. O'Connell. Yeah. Probably him. I'm curious, too, like, if Garrett Graves will ever kind of find one of these roles because he's one of those, like, tweener-type bodies. Yeah. But um, I th- I don't know. We I, th- I know Jack did something on him in spring ball, and it just I just get the vibe they like having him as kind of their Swiss Army guy, just put him wherever you need. But, you know, he strikes me as a guy who, if he got bigger, obviously, he could maybe have an impact in that area. Sure. Yeah, I think they. I think that's when I first started cutting out. I think they got him playing at safety a little bit, um, maybe backing up Robertson, if I if my memory serves correct. Kind of being that guy a little closer to the line of scrimmage. What I see is, I think our defense is going to be really fast next year, which gets me excited. Like we had some athletic DNs, you know, like we had a lot of like. I think we're going to see some dynamic DN play that we haven't seen in quite some time. Kyle, uh, Kyle is a Raiders fan. Uh, speed is everything, right? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I can't, it warmed my heart to see them honor the ghost of Al Davis in their first season in Vegas, drafting the fastest guy on the board. Like, <laughs> New city, same style. I love it. And his son like actually said it. He's like, Dad was proud looking down when we drafted the fastest receiver. It's like, oh, my I God. have no doubt Raiders. in my mind. <laughs> he just, I think, <laughs> wasn't, I, I can't remember if this was like the hard knocks thing last summer. I'm pretty sure like they're, they had like a whiteboard, like their keys to drafting, and number one was still speed. speed. And like, I don't even know if they had like a two and three. I think it's just speed still. <laughs> and I'm like, they could have gotten Judy, they could have gotten CD Brown, and it's just like, nope. Fastest guy, though. That's what yeah. I'm talking about. For Derek Hart to not get the ball to, so that's exciting. <laughs> so, yeah, that's uh, speed is everything. <laughs> but Luke, I think I think you're right though because it's like I the the defensive line 
has gone uh, for the Grizz, going back to the Grizz, has undergone a pretty big transition from just two years ago, where it was kind of a you know three just kind of big guys that just took up blocks. Where now it's more athletic, fast, strong guys with, with still a little bit of heft in the middle, and then um, yeah, especially in your adding in safeties, if Gavin Crow's going to linebacker, Garrett Graves at safety, depending on if they are in the starting group or depth, you're adding a lot of a lot of speed and athleticism to some of these positions where. I mean, of course, how's that going to match up against a powerful team like a, a Weber State? But I don't think we play Weber State in the regular season this year, so maybe it won't matter in that case. But, you know, the cat game or some of these other ones where sometimes you just need to, you know, be able to have size and strength against some of these teams. It'll, it'll be interesting to see how, how it continues to work. Have they named a number 37 yet? No. Nothing I've seen. I saw that they moved Asher Croy to linebacker. The, I mean, he's obviously not going to play this year, but the running back from Bozeman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like that fit for him because he's good, decent size. Yeah, yeah, for sure. He's, he, was a, he was a freshman at Huntley Project my first year at the Gazette. You could see he was pretty, pretty talented football player. His older brother was too, but I don't think his brother – his brother could have played NAIA somewhere, but I think opted not to. I don't know. It'll be interesting. There's a lot of kids, obviously, from my perspective that I've just covered. Like how will like Trevin Gradney is another one of those guys in like the cornerbacks room. You know, he yeah. redshirted last year. How will he adjust? Was it curious to see how Jesse would as well? Um, you know, how will Gabe kind of bounce back this year? Uh, some of these other guys. You know, I what's been kind of fun to watch is the Deming twins. You know, they were. <laughs> They were my first year at the Gazette, too, and, you know, Bryson was their quarterback, and to see him transition to tight end and thrive has been kind of cool. Yeah. Um, and Braden was a stud, too, and it kind of figured he would make an impact right away, but, you know, Bryson seeing him play tight end has been – and wouldn't work out for him, too. It's been pretty fun to watch. Did you guys catch that video of them pushing the truck? Yeah. Yeah. That was awesome. <laughs> yeah, so- they were – them and Nathan Dick were pushing trucks up hills. <laughs> so what do you think happens, guys? Like, obviously, UM's not having school for the rest of the semester. But a good chunk of these athletes live in Missoula. You know, it's like they didn't go anywhere. I mean, some of them did. Um, do you think at some point they opened the facility for individual workouts? Like, what, what do you think happens? Tough to say. I mean, I thought I, I thought I was seeing some stuff where there's possibility of opening when it gets to you know gyms, but you still have to have social distancing and proper you know sanitation measures and whatnot in place. So um, it's kind of a wait and see right now, isn't it? Isn't that, it's kind of like the thing with everything? Yeah, yeah. I think they're going to open it up. I know that. You know, they're, I think all summer classes, for the most part, are going to go online. You were able to apply for an exemption for certain types of courses, like accredited. Like I, I know the uh, athletic training program got an exemption. Um, they're an accredited program, and a lot of their work is hands-on skill-based stuff. But they have, they've had to develop really strict protocols for 
taking temperature daily, of, maybe even twice daily of students and instructors, um, hand washing procedures. Just, I, I remember kind of scanning like a list of maybe 10 different things that they were committing to do in their, in their didactic work. So knowing that we're gonna green light some things to go forward, me, I have to imagine they're gonna green light training for a football team, but maybe they'll break it out into like position groups or something. Um, like offensive linemen are training this time and it like really minimizes the number of people in the space at once. But that said, like that training room is going to have to be open like 24 hours a day because yeah, they right. couldn't just do it for football. They would have to do it for all sports Yep, um, as they should. But I, I, it'll be interesting. And even position groups, I feel like you still, some of those, you might have to split up into a couple yeah, of I groups. Think, I was thinking, um, I'm sure maybe most of us have been in the, the Champion Center. Um, it's a huge space, but even if you went like every other squat rack, you still probably couldn't fit a full position group in there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, I don't, it, there are so many things where it's like, we talk about wanting sports, wanting the football back in the fall and stuff like that, but oh, I hate to, I hate to go down that route, but it's like, if we get football back in the fall, it's going to be teams that didn't practice much. It could be some pretty bad could be some bad football yeah (laughs) Yeah, it would really benefit teams with like incumbent quarterbacks yeah i mean which is why and we talked about a couple weeks ago it you know it it hands the qb job to camp humphrey in my mind but yeah i feel in these teams that have new coaches oh man new coaches this recruiting cycle it's brutal Imagine being a new coach and having to ask your team, well, what did you guys do last year? We'll just do more of that. <laughs> <laughs> or don't. Or don't. What if we you're Northern Colorado? Like, don't, don't do that anymore. Do, does one of you still have a copy of the playbook? Uh... It's <laughs> <laughs> wild. I don't know. Well, guys, anything else? I, I do have one quick question. Yeah. All right. So, so are all three of you guys from Missoula? Luke's not. I'm from the Paris of the Highline, Shelby, Montana. Oh, okay. So Brandon Fur, yeah. Yeah. Yes. You know friend, friend, friend of the pod, right? Brandon <laughs> Fur is definitely a friend of the pod. I Brandon's a friend of mine. He's a good guy. I had to shout him. He actually texted me. I saw. Um, I actually didn't read what he said. I just saw his name. But. <laughs> but uh, sorry, Brandon. Um, <laughs> yeah. But I figured I better shout him out on here. So, yeah, but that's where that connection is. I have actually been to Shelby, so. Me too. Yeah, I drove through it, but I've been there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Brandon's a good dude. Yeah, yeah. He's a uh, okay. That's interesting. Well, I was gonna ask, like, I don't. I'm like Missoula is like. What is a bummer about this is obviously as the weather gets nicer, it feels like Missoula really starts to pop in like the spring and the summer. Mm-hmm. And I really that's when I really started to you know really enjoy living here last year. Um. I guess, like, has it 
I, I just out of curiosity, has it always been like this? Has it always like what was it like in like the '90s when like the greatest football team was getting good? The basketball team obviously had history on top of everything else in Western Montana. Like, is it like what what has have, have you where have you seen Missoula like change the most as to how it is now? Well, Missoula is a lot bigger than it was even in '95. I mean, a lot bigger. So I think that it it kind of it's gone from maybe more of like you know, small town team did good in 95 to kind of more, a little bit more corporate obviously with the Learfield stuff, but just a little bit more of a, a corporate program. And I don't mean that a bad way. It just, it's just not quite the same that way. And I think that in, corporate in, sponsors. Yeah. We don't like <laughs> the corporate sponsors. Ooh. Hey, now, hey, now, calm down. Oh, but you know, it's like in 1995, every business loved the grids. And it was just like, it was everywhere. Cause it was like, they'd been building to that for a couple of years and Dave Dickinson and all that. And it's like, it was unequivocally, it's like you had signs in the, your windows and you still see a lot of that in Missoula, but maybe not as much as you used to. And actually it struck me during the, the Cat Grizz week when we were in Bozeman, the debt Bozeman still businesses have the signs in the windows and stuff like that. And it reminded me more of Missoula then. Um, and not to say that this community doesn't support UM because it absolutely does. And if anybody wants to go on a tangent about that, find me on Twitter because there are some people out there in Grizzland that don't think that Missoula appreciates the football program enough, which is crazy. But um, it's definitely gotten different is what i would say is that fair brent yeah i, I agree I, I think i mean like because for me being a being a teenager in the 90s seeing this team that was just always something to do on a saturday suddenly become a possible national contender to winning a national title and then going back the next year um it, it it just kind of yeah this this kind of upstart team that had been not that great for quite some time but it always kind of had winning seasons under coach reed uh suddenly become this thing and then even into the the mid late 90s and early 2000s even i feel like when they won the national championship again in 01 it still kind of felt like this just kind of yeah the you know homegrown just kind of this fun like plucky college funky town and we love our Grizz and it's all great. And then, uh, of course, then like, you know, I, well, what do you, um, when, when the million dollar shortfall come up, it was around that, wasn't it? Like Oh two Oh three or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly it's like things like really started to change. And I, I distinctly remember, uh, God, what was the year? Was it like Oh two or Oh three? The first home game, the Grizz get inside the red zone and Peter Christian comes on and he goes, attention Washington Grizzly stadium. The Montana Grizzlies have entered the Dodge Ram red zone. <laughs> and it was like, whoa, this is, and then, you know, so it's like things have really changed. But then, of course, also, I think outside of like just the corporate aspect of it, I think fans' expectation changed. Um, you know, oh, social yeah. media, egris, Twitter, like things like that came into play where suddenly, instead of just like having a beer at the Mo Club and bitching about a, a loss or, or doing whatever, uh, after a game, suddenly it became into a, a message board thing, right? And then later on, like a Twitter thing or a social media thing. So, 
I think uh, it just it became a, a a longer, bigger discussion piece, and 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 so it, it's yeah. I mean, the the game atmosphere tends to kind of. I mean, I don't know. I sit around a lot of people that I've sat next to. I've had my current seats for. 17 years where I'm at now my parents have had the same seat since the stadium got built and they all kind of sit around the same people still so it seems like it's a lot of the same faces that are in the stadium maybe just a little older now um but it's it's yeah it's it's kind of fascinating fan expectations have completely changed and uh, of course the experience because of course it's it's a commodity uh has has definitely changed I would say in a lot of cases for the better, in some cases, not so much, but. I think that, I think that's a good point, Brent. I think that we're, I don't mean to come off negative because I think in a lot of ways, yeah, it's so much better than it was. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, I like having a nice clear video screen that we, I mean, I, they, they need to show replays a little more on, especially controversial ones, but uh, you know, <laughs> it's better than the, the old Times Square TV screen that they brought in the first time that, you know, didn't work a whole bunch and and was really tough to see in about half the stadium. So but even I, that was a big deal because that was like that literally came from Times Square, you know, and it was like <laughs> it was better than what most people their level had. Yeah, and I mean, football was I mean, especially in the '90s and into the early 2000s. It was such a spectacle. Uh, you, you just didn't really take anything for granted, and it was just such a fun emotional ride and. and and it still can be, and you can look at a lot of things. And I think a lot of this last season for the football team was like that too, because it was such a rebounding and in many ways cathartic year and to kind of get back and get some big wins and some big wins at home. Of course, it didn't, you know, lost the Cats and then two weeks later to Weber. didn't really end the way you wanted it to, but by and large, it kind of felt like some of that old kind of magic. So it's kind of nice to kind of get some of these feelings of maybe just some of it, comes with the product on the field and if we can kind of keep getting back to that you, we can start to bring back some more of that kind of fun feeling too yeah. it's i mean the tailgates and stuff i mean it's a great it's a great atmosphere and i think that there have been one of the great things is that so many of the people who do that have been like hosting their tailgate for 25 years or sat in their seats forever and it's like our seats like those people have known me since i was a kid and now it's like they've aged 25 years I'm bringing my son to the games with me. And so it's like, you know, a few more years and it's going to be like, they knew me when I was his age at that game. And those are kind of cool. Cause it's like the people we sit around at the Grizz games, I, I will have no reason to know them in this town otherwise, but it's right. like, we have that connection and it's like, we'll see each other around town. And it's like, you, you've got this kind of fun connection, but I will say that, the fan base has gotten more passionate and that's mostly good, but there's definitely been some bad with it. But I think that's normal for any program that gets a certain number of fans. Yeah. Um, and we were joking last week because I rewatched uh, the national championship game on Root Sports and we live tweeted it, uh, which was great. Um, it was good. It, but uh, I was laughing because I don't think our fan base would have the patience for some of Don Reed's decisions. <laughs> But, like, historically, you look back on it, and, like, Don Reed is – do not question him. Infallible. Like some, yeah. yeah. But it's, like, the, our fan base today, I don't – I don't think – I don't think they appreciate what they have in the same way. <laughs> no. No. I don't think our fan base is any more intelligent. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, I do not think that. 
it's it's just something I learned while I was working at the Missoulian, but I'm just fascinated by how the Grizz football program just changed, essentially. You know what I mean? Like, it, to kind of those points you guys were talking about, how, like, the title in 95, you mentioned 01, maybe it still didn't feel like this powerhouse type thing, but I, because when I was growing up, obviously, I mean, my, those first few Cat Grizz games, it felt like Grizz football was huge, obviously, at that point, and, larger fan base they were always good because i was growing up in the Hawk years and then the cats felt like they kind of caught up when i was in like middle school high school they started getting ranked and so it, to me it's just fascinating that you know what wasn't even to like the mid to late 90s that grizz football took off even you know what i mean yeah. and that's kind of that's kind of when it happened because it's just also fascinating to learn like back in like the 70s and 80s it was a basketball school and you know that that's just a fascinating dynamic and uh you know, you guys being here, I figured that'd be kind of interesting. I'm, I'm just curious and interested by all that. And it's yeah. interesting because, um, like, a lot of people don't really realize it, but, you know, you, like, like now we take for granted that when you're going to host a game, you've got to put a bid in, and if your bid doesn't beat the other people and you're not ranked, I mean, like, there are all these things that go into it depending on the round. And in, those, in that championship run, they needed – they needed the local businesses to help guarantee the bid because the, the program couldn't do it on their own. And so they got local businesses to help with the guarantees that of course worked out. But I mean, I think people take for granted that, you know, a lot of, a lot of this program has been built on very generous people stepping up. And sometimes I think that people, forget that there's a there's a big element of that in college athletics where you need you know people with checkbooks to be willing to do things so Luke you were about to say something yeah I think I think your point is spot on Mike I was gonna ask Kyle if he knew a lot of people that drove to Missoula and Bozeman from Billings to go to games on Saturdays I knew more people who went to Bozeman yeah which would make sense. I mean, it's a long drive from Billings to Missoula for a game. It, well, it always perplexed me. Because Shelby, Shelby's like three and a half hours away from Missoula, uh, about the same way from Bozeman. And there were a lot of families that every Saturday would drive to their, like, their team's school to watch the football game. And I was, I was just like, that's a long way to go. But – uh, I mean, I still think that today, but I think it's kind of an interesting thing with our state. Like, our our towns will travel. Like, our rural communities will travel. Um, people will go from Billings to Missoula. How, how far is that? Five hours? Five hours, yeah. Five hours to watch a football game. I think that's super cool. It is cool, and it's, and it's personified, too, especially, you know, like you probably see with Shelby, high school playoff football in the state like the traveling they have to do for like playoff games is like, you know, I've seen like Dylan to Sydney and, you know, hot springs to Plentywood. <laughs> like it's just like ridiculous how far they have to do. But yeah, even to go to like these college games, it's like, you know, think about it that, uh, yeah. I mean, if you want to go see the Grizz play for Billings and if it's a 1 PM kickoff, you got to be up at like seven, six or seven to hit the road. And you get those later months, the roads aren't great, especially going through Butte and Bozeman. So it's uh, it's fascinating, like how some people do that. I remember um, 
Cupbank played Baker in the state football championship, maybe. I think I was out of high school. I had a friend named Craig Smith who I played baseball with who was in high school at the time on the Cupbank team. He was uh, he was in the Jeff Larson class for the Chris football fans. But they chartered a plane Baker for high school football because it was it's like a 10-hour drive or some shit. Yeah. This year, Baker had to go play Eureka, which I believe is a 12-hour drive. Oh, my God. Yeah. And I'm just like – and like, and that's the thing is like, especially when I was in Arizona and telling people about this is just how massive Montana is. Like just people don't understand how big this state is. And I was just like, I would tell people, I'm like, I can get to Denver and as quickly or in less time than it takes for me to get to Kalispell from Billings. <laughs> like, and I was just like, I, Denver is almost closer to us than Kalispell was. And I'm just like, because I would ask my parents to be like, how come we've never been to Kalispell? And my dad's like, I don't want to drive all the way up there. And like, you know, we had no family up there, so no reason. So it's just, but yeah, like to that effect, it's like, yeah, it's crazy how people will drive to go, you know, especially the recruit, the players or the parents of players, you know, like I've run into the Solsters here a lot. I'm like, you know, that's a lot of five hour trips, um, you know, for I think Sydney's an eight hour drive, you know, when, you know, McGinnis was on the team and, Mm-hmm. any any eastern montanan and things like that and then you know vice versa if someone plays in bozeman and they're from you know the northwest like kalispell i i don't know how that's what five hour drive to kalispell to bozeman something like that it's it's like easier to go from sydney to minneapolis to catch a vikings game than it is from sydney to missoula to catch a grizzlies game right exactly <laughs> I love that Shelby is the Paris of the High Line on here. <laughs> it's not on here. You've never, Shelby you've never heard is the it? Paris of the High Line. Of all time. Oh, yeah, I, yeah. Absolutely. The epicenter of culture up there. You said Paris of the High Line and you hesitated and I was like, he's going to say Shelby. I knew it. I, had a, I had a feeling. <laughs> oh, man. Well, we should, we should have you on again. Uh, during during high school football season next year, maybe closer to the playoffs, because um, you know, first of all, that would mean we're having high school football next year, which would be great. Um, but also because I feel like the conversation you and Luke were starting to have could be fun with actual teams in the season, so we should remember that. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. I know I can't thank you guys enough for letting me hop on here. This is it's fun to listen to, so. I don't know if I'll be able to listen to myself talk on it, but it'll be, uh... ah, you get over it. <laughs> That's fair. I like it. All right, guys, anything else? Brent, anything from you? Good over here. Luke, anything yeah, from you? No, just thanks, Kyle. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Thank you guys. We appreciate you coming on. It was a, a great – I think we went longer than we really thought we would. I think we had a great time. Yeah, this was a lot of fun, and, yeah, hopefully when this all closes down, we can all grab a beer and – you know, reminisce about the coronavirus files. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I like it. Well, we'll be back uh, most likely next week. I think we've got another guest lined up. Um, so be paying attention to Twitter for that. And uh, if we know you, we'll social distancely see you soon. If not, uh, we'll catch you next time. Go Grizz. Bye. Bye. Bye.